Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studio. I am your host, Quentin, aka Q Dog, aka Pop Tart King of the South. I might legally change my name to Q Dog. I feel like it has a pretty nice ring to it. <laughs> anyway, today's episode, I've got a guest on Graham McLoggin. Now, listen. This podcast is a little different than what I usually record. Most of the time, it's just me on the podcast saying dumb stuff and trying to be funny, but talking nostalgic baseball, right? And I still want to keep that in, but I want to start to have guests on the show. Uh, A recurring theme that I've mentioned on maybe my last five or six or 10 podcasts is the community that's been built through Instagram with a lot of baseball fans being able to talk about nostalgic baseball, nostalgic family stuff, you know, growing up playing ball with your dad and your mom and just all those good old memories around baseball and family and how those things sort of come together. So I thought to myself, well, I just want to start having more guests on. And a lot of those guests, like I had Brad Baluchian on who wrote The Wax Pack, phenomenal book, phenomenal dude, right? That was, that, we became friends, I feel like, really quick. And so on this episode, Graham, I had met him through Twitter, right? So someone that just followed the page. And I asked him one time if he wanted to be on the podcast. And it sort of, you know, has inspired me to kind of do that with more people that just follow the podcast and follow the page because everybody has their own baseball story. And the community that's on Instagram, you know, you can look at any of the posts that I post and the comment sections are phenomenal to read. And it's not because of me. It's because of the people that follow the page and everybody has a really good baseball story. So what I wanted to do is sort of have like a Joe Rogan type podcast where I just have a guest on and we just talk baseball and see where it goes as opposed to like, I love Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast and the Fangraphs podcast and all those things, but they're really structured. And I sort of want something that's not because I don't want it to be intimidating for people to come on because I'm very much a fly by the seat of your pants, but I'm really interested in people's baseball stories and really just to talk baseball with people and build that community even further not from not just for my own benefit because it makes me happy to talk baseball with others but for other people's benefit too because what I've sort of figured out with the Instagram is I'll get a lot of messages and comments that say people really appreciate what I post and that's really good to hear because I post a lot of that nostalgic stuff because it's really cathartic to me because like my baseball story growing up, you know, was like I played little league, I played a little bit of ball in junior high and high school, but really like my dad was always my coach. So I got pissed at him because I was just a teenage kid and I thought he was forcing me to play baseball sometimes. And then I just sort of walked away from the game and just basically did what every kid does in high school, just started smoking a bunch of weed and drinking a bunch of booze, right? So it took me a long time to come back to baseball. And, you know, getting married and having my daughter has sort of brought me back to the game because the game played a big role in my life as far as, you know, my upbringing, the values it taught me. My dad working a million hours a week and still finding time to play baseball, never complaining. My mom filling in when my dad wasn't around because he was working so much. So it means a lot to me. So um, I'm going to, like I said, I have Graham on the show because I want to, I want to hear other people's stories, but I also want people to get the same benefit that I've gotten by, you know, talking about baseball and telling my baseball story and remembering the good nostalgic times and the things they taught us and being able to apply that to our current situation, our current family, and then in the future as well. So this one's about two hours long and I hope you like it. And hopefully there's more to come with just guests coming on, on the show. Um, you know, just people from Instagram, right? I don't want to have people that are you know, baseball professionals or stuff like that. Like I just want normal people that have cool baseball stories 
And because, like I said, I want to hear him, but I think it's great for everybody to, you know, have a platform to tell that story and get it out there because I think it's very motivating. All right. I want to take a second to mention my sponsor, Hood Hat, hoodhat.com. They make really, really awesome hats. I mentioned them on my last episode that I had with the full hat story. And the, the quality is really good, and it's very much a nostalgic brand. Their motto is never leave it behind. And to me, that's such a powerful thing because it sort of rings true in this podcast about you know me talking about nostalgic baseball and what baseball was to me growing up. And that's what the hat brand encompasses. They have hats that you know represent a lot of different teams, but it's sort of from a neighborhood baseball stadium type approach. So for example, you can get a Cincinnati Reds hat, but it says Cincy Riverfront for Riverfront Stadium. You can get the same thing for Jack Murphy Stadium for, you know, Pittsburgh Steel City and it's a yellow hat with a black bill, one that says Queens Flushing for the Mets if you're a Mets fan. And then also an an Atlanta one that is awesome because it's like the older Atlanta Braves colors like when Phil Necro was on the Braves. But the hats, they're, they're phenomenal build quality. They're all snapbacks. They're made out of 100% merino wool. And I just love the idea that they're super nostalgic. And they, again, it sort of encompasses the theme of this whole podcast where it takes you back to when Jack Murphy Stadium was the home of the Padres and Riverfront was the home of the Cincinnati Reds and Jack Murphy and things like that. You can even get one for the vet, which is pretty cool, right? And like I said, just really good hats. They're quality built. And like the story goes, the guy that runs the show, his name is Max, and he's such a sweetheart, such a good dude. He has the hats made in New York City, so they are built in the USA, which is a pretty big deal. And then the wool quality is unlike a hat that you'll get today. Like older snapbacks, older MLB hats used to be made out of merino wool, but I believe they changed them to polyester, but this hat is still made out of wool. So it's like a 1972 Chevy truck, right? It's well fucking built. You know what I mean? Like it is a good hat to have and the color really pops on it. And like I'd mentioned on the last episode, I never wanted a sponsor because I felt like it was sort of a sellout option, but I love Max, the guy that runs Hood Hat. He's a phenomenal nostalgic dude. He's probably low 40s. I think he just got married as well. So congratulations, Max. And because he's such a great guy and because what the brand stands for, the motto, never leave it behind, always remembering, you know, where we grew up playing baseball, getting home when the streetlights come on, chasing lightning bugs, watching the Saturday baseball game a week at Jack Murphy Stadium or the Vet or Riverfront or at Shea. You know, like those were the good days. And that's what the brand stands for. So Hood Hat, it's hoodhat.com. You can also find them on Instagram at hoodhatusa. All right, guys, here is the show. What's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt, coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin, and today I got my buddy Graham on the show. Graham McLaughlin, what's going on, man? Uh, hey, how's it going? It's going good. Dude, right on. Now, listen, I'm super excited about this episode because, Graham, now here's how we met, man. We met through Twitter because you are a hat collector. I am, I am. And I don't just mean any sort of hat collection. Like, you, you've got a huge hat collection. Yeah, I think I just did a rough count of everything. I think I just crossed over the 400 mark. Dude, what do you keep all those hats, man? Do you have them displayed on a wall? Do you have to have some of them stored? 
Uh, right now we're moving stuff around, so they're kind of in storage right now in a couple uh, giant plastic tubs, but hopefully I'm going to get some nice framing done and have them on shelves. Dude, that is awesome. Now, let me ask you this, man. So from a have avid hat collector that you are, do you have like a go-to hat that you wear day in and day out, or do you have a pretty solid rotation of like... I, I do a rotation. Uh, I try not to wear the same hat for more than like two or three days. Dude, that's so stylish, uh, there's man. A, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of hats in my collection that they're just my go-tos. One is uh, a Heather Chicago Cubs hat. So it's a blue bill. And then the panel, and then the panels around it are uh, like a heather gray. It's got the blue button on top, and then it's got the old Chicago Bear on the front. Nice, man. And now, one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, man, because I think, like, when it comes to baseball and really any sport for that matter, but for me, like, it hits really hard with baseball is the nostalgic factor that the sport brings. And oh, yeah. with that sort of comes I, the community that comes with the game and comes with certain nostalgic pieces, right? So me and you met just strictly through hats. So I think – I don't even know yeah, how I it think, happened. I think, like, one of my friends retweeted one of your posts, and then I commented on it and just snowballed from there. Yeah, and it's – um, and then it was just, like, you know, with any friend, you know, having that sort of common, like, nostalgic – like feeling you know sort of like brings people together right and i know mm -hmm. like a hat to me has meant something since i was a little kid like m my dad worked construction right growing up always built houses and he wore a hat man and it always like he was always like a tough son of a bitch right like i would see him wearing a hat dude and he had to have the hat because it kept the sun out of his eyes man so for me there's always been like mm -hmm. this gritty feeling when it comes to a hat because my dad always wore a hat so when I was a kid I felt like I had to have a hat and he would always give me his old tool belts and I would go into the kitchen and get all the knives out of the silverware drawer and put them into the belt <laughs> so I would have yeah, a hat and I would have like as a five-year-old I just loaded up in knives but that's how it was in the 80s so I was born in 83 so <laughs> you could be a kid and have a knife and it really wasn't that big of a deal oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, when, from – oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say when I was a kid, uh, I was in Cubs and Scouts, so mm -hmm. I had a knife on me. I was throwing hatchets, knives, shooting black powder guns, and then I also was in the gun club here in Canberra River, so I was Dude. shooting uh, twenty two rifles and all that type of stuff. Dude, Canada has got it going on. Where are you, where are you from in Canada? So I'm from uh, Canberra River which is a town on Vancouver Island, which is off the coast of BC. So it's part of BC, and there's just this giant island that's just broken off of it. Okay, and that's where you're at, man, and you had gun clubs yep. and the whole nine. Dude, that's awesome, man. You guys get you guys get any snow there this year? Uh, No, we're – Vancouver Island is weird. We're kind of like Canada's Hawaii. Oh, dude, hell yeah, that's awesome. So we get like all the – better weather than most of nice. Canada. It's one of those places where you can go snowboarding in the morning if you wanted to, and then in the afternoon go surfing. Dude, that's awesome, man. That's got to be a good place to stay. Now that we're friends, I oh, guess yeah. I'll just go ahead and book my reservation now so you tell yeah, me where I over. can sleep. I'm heading over, man. But dude, Yeah, we'll head down to Victoria, do a craft beer tour. 
Hell yeah, man. Beer is um, what I do on this show, man. I eat food and drink beer, and I feel like that's my true calling. Oh, you would love Victoria then. Uh, Victoria is the capital of BC. A lot of people think it's Vancouver, but it's Victoria. And Victoria has one of the biggest craft beer scenes in BC and probably Western Canada. Dude, you know, it's like that where I live. So I'm just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, on the South Carolina go side. Yeah, go Hornets, dude. And speaking of Hornets, man, that was one of my go-to hats growing up. But we've got oh, yeah. a pretty killer beer scene here too, man. So, like, I like to drink, like, my classic beers. Like, I'll throw back a Hams or a Miller High Life or an Old Style. But, dude, like, you can get into some beers here that are just damn good, man. Like, I love a stout. Like, I've been able to appreciate a stout since I've been in a town that makes actual good beer. But it's a little stronger than, like, a hams or an old oh, yeah. style. So you drink one, and it's like you've drank three, which is a really effective way for me to drink. So I like it. Well, the beers here, like, the like the minimum alcohol is, like, 0. 0.5 or 0. 0.6 or something, like 6%, 5%. So I will just couple of those will just get you going. Dude, they really do, man. They'll hit you. But, dude, the, oh, yeah. the Hornets colors, man. I remember, so one of my first hats growing up, man, was a Charlotte Hornets hat. And I, I, don't, I got it in grade school, man, I think one year for Christmas, dude. And it was a snapback. It had the straight bill on it, man. Like, I was cool mm -hmm. before I actually knew it. And that's one of the things that I like about hats so much and sort of, you know, meeting you and – it sort of got me into like collecting hats again because you know there's a certain hat whether it be the, the logo and the colors like it can just give you like a feeling in a split second man and you know like when i think of like that charlotte hornets hat or one of the other first hats i had growing up was an atlanta the very first fitted hat i got actually was an atlanta braves hat because the Braves... Did you get with a Chief Nakahoma on it? No, it just, it, dude, it was just a traditional hat. It was navy with the red okay. bill, and then it just had, like, the scripted A on it. And oh, I yeah, saved my paper, paper route money for that. It was, like, a $30 hat, I guess, or whatever. And my mom had to take me to the town over, because mm -hmm. so you had to drive about 20 miles to get a hat. And, dude, like, so I think, like, those two hats... And me being a Cubs fan, it's really weird that those are the two hats that Same. I go to. But <laughs> it's just like, it's just what I happened to have when I was a kid. And I, I love that hat, man. And like thinking about that particular hat now, which I mean, I like the Braves, right? But I'm a Cubs fan through and through because it was mostly mm -hmm. like my dad and my grandpa, right? We're Cubs fans. But dude, like I remember taking that hat with me everywhere, dude. Like we, me and my buddies would ride our bikes to the Sandlot Field up the road and, you know, I had that Atlanta Braves hat on riding my GT Performer with, like, my bat bag. We'd stop <laughs> on the way at the butcher shop to get, like, a Coke and some snacks or whatever. Yeah. And, dude, like, what sort of – um, what got you into collecting hats, man? Was it, like, sort of like a nostalgic feeling like that? Was it sort of like a fashion thing, man? What, um, what do you get from a hat? So uh, I originally started collecting hats uh, because – I was I'm a big guy mm -hmm. uh my biggest I was like 500 pounds and being here in Canada we can't really get jerseys that sized mm -hmm. so I decided to you know I'm going to start collecting hats pick up a couple hats for my teams I like mm -hmm. uh but for where I live I have to drive about two to three hours down to Nanaimo and that's where the local lids is so I went in there and I was just like, okay, um, not quite sure what to get. Uh, I didn't want to be like the normal Canadian, pick up a Blue Jays hat, or because I live in the Pacific Northwest, I want to, didn't want the Seattle Mariners. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I was kind of doing research about like which teams I wanted to follow because I started watching sports later on in life. I like probably not till uh, early 2000s, like around 05, 08. Okay. And I picked the Chicago Cubs. Uh, it was a Chicago Cubs on field, and I also grabbed a Baltimore Orioles on field because I liked the look of the Baltimore Orioles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked the Chicago Cubs because I decided that was going to be my team because I watched a couple of games. Uh, Ryan Dempster was my, one of my favorite players at the time. Oh, Ryan Dempster is from Canada, right? Yes, he is. Nice. He's a. I actually went to. I actually used to work with his nephew. Okay, right on. Hell yeah. Selling hats at uh. In Vancouver. Nice. Yeah. So, Brian Dempster, and then random, randomly, they did an episode of Undercover Boss with the Chicago Cubs. So, uh, one of the Ricketts brothers, he went to undercover, quotation marks, undercover, in his uh, in the Chicago Cubs, and he did, like, all the menial jobs, washing toilets, selling hot dogs, parking cars. And I was like, you know what? This is a good organization. I want to be a fan of this team. And I started reading out, reading up about them. And I was just like, I, I like this. And they've had Canadian players, Ryan Dempster, Fergie Jenkins. Dude, Fergie's he's, a legend, man. Absolutely. Oh, he's great. Super nice guy. Um, and then I was just like, okay, I'm sold. They're my team. Grabbed a hat. And I've been rocking the Cubs ever since. Uh, when they won in 2016, I was in a Triple O's, which is like a fast food diner here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching the game, just bawling my eyes, bawling my eyes out when uh, Bryant threw the Riz threw to Rizzo, and he caught it and just ended the game right there, beating the Cleveland Indians. Dude, that was a hell of a moment, man. Like, first of all, I've got to mention, out of all the teams you could pick, did you pick the Cubs because you felt sorry for them? Because at the time, they hadn't won a World Series for like 95 years. So that's very brave of you to choose the Chicago Cubs to be a fan of, you know? Yeah, I actually got a, I, I got made fun of it a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> Probably. I, one time was actually done. One, I got jokes from a former baseball player, actually. His name, I was working volunteering at the bc sports hall of fame and they were having a night when some of their uh hall of famers came in and one of the guys was name of arnie Hallgreen. you can look this guy up he was actually one of the very first players to be on the boston braves okay and he bounced around he's a minor league baseball legend and i was just like oh this guy's coming in i should get a baseball signed by him i didn't have any official major league baseballs handy at the mm-hmm. time so i'm running around vancouver Finally get to a sporting goods store, and all they had was, like, uh, practice baseballs. And I was like, okay, that'll do. Mm-hmm. Go, go to the event, and my boss introduces me. Hey, Arnie, this is Graham, our new volunteer, uh, and he's a huge baseball ba- baseball fan. And Arnie goes, oh, yeah, you're a baseball fan? Uh, who's your team? And I go, Chicago Cubs. <laughs> and, he goes, and he just looks at me in disbelief and then looks at the ball and looks back at me. He's like, yeah, you love baseball. You really do. Just, if you're a Cubs fan, you've got to love something about baseball, man. You sort of like love baseball and hate yourself at the same time, man. So oh, that's yeah. awesome. It's a love-hate relationship. And right now with their rebuild, it's a very hate relationship. Dude, listen, it's fun though, man. Like, because oh, yeah. 
it's sort of like, and one of the things I always liked about being a Cubs fan, and it might be just being a baseball fan in general, or a, hell, I guess even a sports fan in general, is just the possibility that each season brings, right? And that's something that like I love more than anything. And it was like with the Cubs, like 2015 sort of came out of nowhere, right? Like they got really good. Well, maybe it didn't come out of nowhere, but they won like 98 it was games around like they 20. Had it they started, yeah. They started going up around like 2014 once they started bringing up some of their prospects, signing John Lester. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Soler was brought up and he hit that monster home run. And that was like kind of the turn point where we're Cubs fans and we're like, oh my God, we're actually doing something. We yeah. could be good. Yeah. And so you had been a fan at that point since 05. And like, I know, like, um, you know, growing up, like watching Cubs games. And, you know, they hadn't won a World Series or anything. And then, like, when 2016 happened, I felt like that it, – it was so fun to be a Cubs fan even though they oh, lost yeah. so much because when it happened, at least with me, man, like, my grandpa had passed away, like, uh, four years before that or something like that. And then, you know, growing up, like, watching baseball with my dad, like, when the Cubs won, it was a uh, very much a family event. And that felt so good. You know, when you talk about, like, watching the game and being in tears, like, I, my wife and I went to Chicago for their home games, right? So we didn't get tickets because the tickets were Still really expensive, right? But, yeah, that was the thing was sort of like, listen, like, we can't get in the stadium, but, like, let's just be there, right? And then so when they won game seven, I was already back home, and my wife had fallen asleep because, you know, that game went to extra innings. So I'm wanting to say it was, like, oh, yeah. 2 o'clock, past 2 o'clock my time when the game was over, and – when Bryant uh, threw that ball to Rizzo, like, I sort of just sat there in shock. And I remember, I think the game was on Fox, right? In the top right-hand corner of the TV, it was like Chicago Cubs 2016 World Champions. Dude, and I just stared at that. Once they lit up at like, the marquee back yeah, in dude. Chicago, you're mm-hmm. just like, it's and I, real! Dude, it was nuts, man. And I just stared at that, like, icon on the TV for, like, an hour and a half. Like, and I didn't really have any reactions because I didn't know how to act. Like, I didn't cry. I didn't jump for joy. Like, I just sort of stood there. And I, I, I honestly, I didn't know what to do. But I, I felt good. But it was, I mean, something like I'm doing a really bad job of explaining it. But I couldn't explain it. But it felt good. And even though, like, I was by myself, like, in that moment – it made me think of all the times I had like watching Cubs games with like my dad and my grandpa. And then my brother is a Cardinals fan. So I know how it feels oh, to get made fun of because where <laughs> I grew up at, it was in the bottom part of Illinois. Right. So th- it was like only two hours from St. Louis. So there were a lot of Cardinals fans as well. And mm-hmm. they would let you have it, man. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. getting made fun of, it's just like, yeah, you know, bring it on. Like I know they're losers or whatever, but it, and so now like, even though, like, they're going through the rebuild now, like, I sort of welcome the rebuild because if the Cubs suck for a few years, it's almost, in a sense, going to take me back to before the World Series when they weren't good. And I'm sort of looking forward to it in a weird way where I'm like, man, if they're just going to suck for a few years, like, that's fine because I'll watch the meaningless. It'll make you reappreciate the Chicago Cubs of 2015, 2016, 2017. Make Uh, you reappreciate that. I think that's 100% true, man. And 
it's sort of like that nostalgic feeling, you know, when I think in those terms, like that's sort of what I get out of hats when I buy them, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the cool things I think about collecting hats is it you get to appreciate other teams as well. Like since I've started this podcast, I've sort of branched out into other teams and other eras and stuff like that. And you had sent me two hats. You sent me a San Diego Padres hat and then yep. the Chicago White Sox, like the Southside Hitman hat. And yeah. since having the podcast, like I love a lot of like the old San Diego Padres teams, like even the 84 Padres who beat the Cubs. Right. And I love like the old unis with like the mustard and mud when Dave Winfield was a Padre. And then you talk about like, you know, the Chicago White Sox and all the great teams they've had. And it's just collecting the hats that I am on like a small basis is helping me to appreciate the game even more. And it's helping me to like get to know like other teams and other players of the past. And that's something I love about it, man. Totally agree. Uh, for most part, the only team that I really did look up and read about was the Chicago Cubs. And that's why I collected for the longest time. But then once I started buying other teams, uh, around 2014, 2015, that's when I found hat club. And once they started doing all their old school stuff, I was like, Oh, that's a cool logo. That's a cool logo. Hey, uh, I wonder what this team's history is like. Click, click, click Mm -hmm. and start reading about that. Like, I missed out on the Montreal Expos playing. Oh, like, yeah, because when did they leave? In 03, I think they went to D.C.? Yep. Yeah. Listen, yeah, that's a I'm... team that fascinates me so much. Like, you told – we had a small conversation yesterday, and you told me about that book, that Expos book that Jonah Carey wrote. And I want to get my hands yeah. on that bad, man, because the Montreal Expos, to me, like, they I were obviously around when I watched baseball, but – like always they being played a, polka, they play polka music at the at the stadium. Dude, that is awesome, man. Old school teams used to do like the wildest things. Like, do you know, listen, and I might be wrong on this, but I think I'm semi right. But you know the Oakland Athletics, how a lot of their jerseys and some of their logos have the elephant on it? Yes. Right? So you may know the answer to this, but I think how that went was Charles Finley. That's the guy that owned the team, and he was a wild Mm -hmm. dude, man. This guy was nuts. Also, I I want a documentary of Charles Finley, like a a kind of like what they did for 42, Mm -hmm. Jackie Robinson. But I want uh, Charlie Finley played by Bill Murray. That wouldn't do. That would be perfect. Bill Murray's a legend. I watched Groundhog Day the other day in that movie. He's so funny. I'm a god. I'm not the god, but I'm a god. Dude, unreal, man. That Ghostbusters, dude, the whole nine, man. Dude, phenomenal, man. Oh, he, uh, he did, uh, he did, Caddyshack. Caddyshack's a legendary movie, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a great movie. He did Caddyshack, and then after that, he was just like, okay, I'm done with comedy, and he started doing dramas. Those failed miserably, and he came back for Ghostbusters because he wanted. Uh, I believe he wanted money to do more drama drama films and kind of got stuck doing comedy and then popping into drama every so often. Dude, listen, I read this about Ghostbusters. It was, I don't know, last year, the year before, or something like that, where John Belushi was, I think, supposed to be in Ghostbusters. And the guy that played Egon was writing Ghostbusters and had cast John Belushi in a role, but then John Belushi died and he OD'd. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And then Egon, I... I 
I'm on the spot, so I can't think of the guy's name in real life. He actually stepped in and played the role that Belushi was supposed to play. And hmm. yeah, so that's a pretty interesting story about Ghostbusters. Yeah. But dude, I remember, dude, I had a proton pack when I was a kid, dude. So I was for Ecto-cooler. sure. cooler, Dude, yes, the Ecto cooler. Dude, that's the best drink ever, man. If you want to hit home runs on the Sandlot, get your Ecto cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But listen, tell me. PF Flyers and Ecto Cooler. Dude. (laughs) PF Flyers, man, dude. Hell yeah. But listen, you told me, I caught this a second ago, you worked at the BC Sports Hall of Fame? Yes, I did. Uh, When I moved to Vancouver Mm -hmm. back in 2012, I didn't know anybody, so I was staying at my uncle and aunt's place. Okay. And my uncle was a big supporter of the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. He was on their board, and he's just like, go volunteer there. Maybe you'll get a job. You'll talk to people in sports. You'll yeah. like it. So I got there, uh, became a volunteer, met a bunch of great people, and that's one of the reasons why I became a librarian today mm-hmm. is from working at that museum and Hall of Fame. But I got to do a bunch of different stuff. I got to – I didn't touch it, didn't hold it, but I got to be in the presence of the Stanley Cup. Like it was right next to me. Because in Vancouver, they held the Heritage Classic, and it was between, I want to say, the Vancouver Canucks, who Mm -hmm. were wearing the Vancouver Millionaires jerseys for the game, and they were playing against the Ottawa Sanders. And it was inside BC Place, so they turned BC Place into a gigantic ice rink. There's that. uh, Met Paul Crea, Christine St. Clair. Built a help build a gallery for the 1954 British Empire Games. Oh dang! Yeah, it was crazy fun. Dude, that would be a blast, a, man. Oh yeah, met a bunch of great people. I'm still friends with the majority of them. Dude, heck yeah, that's pretty badass, man. That would um. Now you don't volunteer there anymore, though. No, I moved back to uh, my hometown of Canberra River. Nice. And somehow, luckily, I got a job in my field and. I'm what's called an infotech, which is like a librarian, mm-hmm. but I deal more with reference questions and helping out people, which is great because my customer service skills is on point. Nice, man. Hell yeah, dude. Dude, I worked uh, retail for the longest time, man. Obviously, oh, yeah. like a lot dirtier than what you work. Like you're doing God's work, you know, in a library and I just basically well, sold also- core stereos at a Best Buy, but uh, yeah. But I worked in retail. I was working in uh, Jersey City, which was owned by Lids before they were bought by Fanatics. Oh, that's right. And I was selling, I was hustling and selling hats, jerseys, T-shirts, anything. Uh, and I would just meet random people and just have great conversations with like-minded sports fans. And then you'd also get the people that just want stuff for uh, Instagram posts. Yeah. So we had one guy, he came in, he dropped like over $1,000 on Mitchell and S basketball jerseys, and we're just like, yes. And then he came back the very next day as soon as we opened it and returned everything. What? Oh, did because he shot it for an Instagram post? Yeah, he just uh, bought everything, took a bunch of photos, and then uh, he like uploaded them onto his Instagram, and then like the next day, he just returned everything, and our sales were just like... Boom. We could not recover that day. Dude, what? A, and I guess you couldn't tell him not to bring it back, right? Because if it's in the policy, it's sort of just like, I can't, you yeah, know, I guess your hands are tied. 30 days. Dude, but tell yeah. me about this, man. Like one of the, 
the things that I've had the most fun with with starting this podcast and the Instagram page is the relationships, right? And mm-hmm. I um, it, it, it was unexpected for me, I guess, with like the growth of everything. But one of the things, like I don't make any money off this podcast, right? Like I just got a sponsor like two weeks ago or whatever. But like outside of that, I like that horde, dude. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I um. I never really cared to, right? Like the only reason why I took on that sponsor was because it was a good fit because obviously the hats yep. that Max sells at Hood Hat, they're, they've got like a really nostalgic feel to them. And I guess that's I was- sort of like what I like to dig into with the podcast or whatever. But I think the thing that has made me the happiest and has made, you know, the podcast and the Instagram worth doing is just the relationships. There, And, and it's, oh, yeah. it's so interesting to me how like sports and hats and baseball teams – can you know people together it can can bring people together with like this common thread of just like it's so interesting how sports and life intersect and i can talk to you in canada and talk to whoever else is on my instagram and it's like you have these people from different places that have all sort of been through the same thing like went through the same things growing up and then you know in like adulthood and stuff like that and, you know, starting families and things like that. And I've had people on my Instagram that I've talked about, like, you know, how, like, we have kids now and, you know, how we want to do with our kids what we did when we were young. And there's no way when my dad taught me to play baseball when I was five years old that I would have ever thought when I was 37 that I would still be <laughs> applying that stuff to my daughter oh. that I have now and, and building, like, really meaningful relationships with the people around me for no other reason than it's just fun and we like it, you know? Oh, yeah. I have friends right now who have uh, little kids running around, and the little kids are also into hat collecting Yeah, because their dad is into collecting or their mom is into hat collecting. Uh, one of my friends, Matt, his little daughter uh, sticks uh, – glow-in-the-dark stickers, scratch-and-sniff stickers, that type of stuff, all over his hats. And he just goes, okay, this is a custom. And he just leaves it as that. (laughs) I love it, man. Heck yeah, dude. That's what makes – it's, like, so fun to get, like, your family and kids involved into it, you know? I think that's just so fun. Like, when my daughter – well, we've already actually opened up baseball cards with my daughter, and she'll just rip Mm -hmm. them open and then, like, eat them or whatever. But, like, I kept them because I'm a weird dad. And I'm like, hey, this John Cruck card that she just wrinkled and slobbered on, I'm going to keep it. And maybe it's a custom card. You know, it's a one-of-one. One, oh, so yeah. I'll take it. That's a memory. You put that away. You yeah, get dude. that framed. You put that in your little man cave. Dude, and the memories are just so good. And it's like – I said it earlier, man, but it's like getting, like, a hat with, like, a particular logo on it. You know, like, one of my favorite logos is the old-school Houston Astros logo. And I, one, I just like the logo in general. But then two, like I went over, well, during quarantine, really, I've watched a ton of old baseball on YouTube. And I watched the whole 86 NLCS, and that was with the Astros mm-hmm. and the Mets. And the Mets beat them. But that Astros team, I just grew to really like, even though the whole time I knew they were going to lose. I just like, you know, guys like Kevin Bass and Glenn Davis and Billy Hatcher and all these guys that I had never really watched. I was like, man, I, I like that team, you know, and just the grittiness oh, yeah. of like the old school baseball. And then now, like, you know, getting like a Houston Astros sticker or a Houston Astros hat, even though the current team, you know, people hate them because they cheated. And oh, yeah. Like, dude, I've got a uh, a Houston Astros like face covering that I'll wear out. 
And people are always like, oh, you must be a real fan. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not really. I just like the logo, you know? But, yeah. uh, dude, just – and I think that's like that's one of the things I love about it most, man. Yeah, there's certain logos that I love and I'll have in my collection. There's a couple of teams that, even though I like their logo, I refuse to add them to my collection. One being the St. Louis Cardinals. I love yeah. that iconic logo with the Cardinals sitting on the bat. I love that logo, but I refuse to put that in my collection. <laughs> Dude, I'm the same way, man. I love, like, all, like, the 80 St. Louis Cardinals practice gear that's just, like, solid red. I know you can get a solid red mm -hmm. St. Louis Cardinals practice jersey Ozzy Smith from Mitchell and Ness, and, like, part of me wants one so bad, but I'm like, hell no, I can't have that jersey because no, my brother— can't. Because then my brother would be like, oh, you're a Cardinals fan now, huh? Because the Cubs suck. And, like, them and then the Milwaukee Brewers. One of my favorite logos is the Brewers logo. Oh, with yeah, the it's M great. The, dude, phenomenal. And then especially they've adopted the old colors with, like, oh, the yeah. blue and the yellow. And I'm like, dude, I love that. But I hate Ryan Braun, so I can't do it, man. Everybody does. Dude. But the old um, – yeah. The 80s – um. Milwaukee Brewers teams when they were in the American League, like with Pete Vukovic and Gorman mm -hmm. Thomas and Paul Mott, dude, those are damn good teams. So part of me is like, well, if I buy that hat, well, it's not a Cardinals hat. <laughs> and so, like, maybe I can get by with it because those old teams are good. But secretly, I'm like you with the Cardinals. Like, even the 80s St. Louis Cardinals teams, I like them. But I can't yeah. tell anybody because if I do, it's all over for me. Oh, yeah. Not, like, secrets out here, but I actually have a Milwaukee Brewers hat in my collection because i love that iconic mb catcher's mint logo dude it's one of my favorites man it's so damn good it's right up there with the expos dude the expos dude i'm always like it i feel like the expos have this like cult following where like they're gone but like they're really a lot of expos they're never fans gone they're never gone exactly man and i'm hoping i think if major league baseball it has to happen at some point i think the expos will come back and i had heard that now i think this has been a couple of years probably that the who the the family was the tampa bay rays well, I heard that the Tampa Bay Rays were yeah. possibly going to move. But I feel like even aside from that, the Bronfman family, I guess that they own like Seagram's Gin, I think, or something. I think they were the original owners of the Expos. And I feel like that original owner's son was trying to work with people to make it to where the, they, the Expos might be able to come back, whether it was through the Tampa Bay Rays or just like another expansion. Because I know when MLB had talked about before all the COVID stuff hit, there was a pretty decent talk about expansion. And they oh, yeah. had mentioned, There's... like, Nashville. Maybe it was, like, Portland. And, like, Portland, always Montreal. Vegas. Was in... Yeah. I think North Carolina was also on that list. Oh, Charlotte was for sure. And I'm like, if yeah. Charlotte got a baseball team, you could just fire me from my job because I would just quit. I, at 2 o'clock, I would go catch a day game, drink some beer, eat some hot dogs. Oh, yeah. And I'm not doing any work, I'll tell you that, because I've never lived in a town with a professional baseball team, not once. No. And if there was a team in Charlotte in North Carolina, Bill Murray would have to be a part of it because that's where he lives. Wait, Bill Murray lives in North Carolina. Uh, Charleston. Sorry. Oh, so, oh dude. He might've South yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah dude. Dude. Have you because ever, he, he, cause he's a partial owner of the river dogs. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he's uh, his title is the director of fun. Where are the, are the River Dogs in Charleston? Yeah, 
yeah, they're part of uh, they. I don't know if they still are with the whole minor league rearrangement, but yeah. they were a New York Yankees farm team. Dude, hell yeah! I'll tell you what, man. Do you um? One of my favorite things is to go to a minor league ball game. So the Chicago White Sox have a single A team in Kannapolis, North Carolina, and they were called the Kannapolis Intimidators, but they recently changed yes. their name to the Cannonballers, and they have a phenomenal mm-hmm. logo, dude. Minor oh, yeah. league baseball teams really have great logos. but oh, that... it, I love minor league baseball because they make baseball game. They make baseball fun, and that's what it is. Baseball is a game. It's meant to be fun. Dude, and it's like the sta- – so the – cannonballers now like they just built a new stadium but right no no games were played there because the first year was supposed to be 2020 and that never happened but the three years before that my wife and i would always go watch intimidators game and they had this old stadium um with like an old scoreboard they didn't have any like crazy light up billboards or anything like that like along the outfield fence there were just signs for advertisements, right? Like I felt like I was on a Bronco League baseball field back home, right? And I, oh, yeah. it was one, it was that stadium, and then Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, I forgot the, the tourists. Yes, Jesus, they're man. called the tourists. They yeah, are. and that stadium was good too because it was like overlooking just like trees in the outfield. And a minor league baseball game to me is one of the funnest things to do oh yeah i i would i prefer going to minor league games than major league games I, no that i've only been to uh one major league baseball game and that was uh going down to seattle to watch the mariners yeah. lose to the baltimore orioles mm-hmm. and then the rest of my baseball experience is catching games at in vancouver at the nat bailey stadium and going to see the vancouver canadians play mm-hmm. fun story uh my uncle and aunt who i lived with in vancouver they used to house some of the players for the Canadians. Oh, that's awesome. So they had uh, Syndergaard living there. No way. In the basement. What? Uh, Osuna, before he was on the Astros and an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a few other players. And my Aunt Jana, my Aunt Jana had this entire thing where, like, you drink your chocolate milk after your workouts or – after practice and during games, and she still contacts some of them and goes like, "Have you, are you drinking your chocolate milk?" <laughs> Dude. There's one guy that they had. Uh, he was a Latin player, I think, from Mexico, and he had never had fresh vegetables. Everything was canned for him. No way. So living with him was like the first time he got like a really good meal, and he was so happy about it. Dude, that is unreal, man. That's like it reminds me of like Sammy Sosa when Sammy Sosa was playing ball. So Sammy's from the Dominican, I believe. Yeah. And that guy, like up until he left the Dominican to like play in the Texas League because I think he was originally started with the Rangers. Dude, he was like sleeping on a dirt floor in his house. And that's like, dude, like I love stories like that with like Sammy. Like I'm still a Sammy Sosa fan. Like I know what happened with all of that stuff. And like, you know, what's interesting to me, man, is that Sammy Sosa, right. Didn't really fail a drug test, but like that report. It was never proven. It was one of the leak names, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying this because I'm like a Cubs fan. Like here's the thing, David Ortiz and Pedro Martinez and Kerry Wood 
and a bunch of other guys were on that same list, and they don't get any shit. Like, David Ortiz will probably get in the Hall of Fame, probably oh, within, yeah. Yeah. like, maybe on the first ballot, but possibly, like, three or four in, because nobody thinks of him as a cheater. But if you look at his stats, they're really good. But it's almost like the thing that did Sammy Sosa in was he broke a record. But then... He was he's not even the record holder because Maguire ended the season at 70. So it's almost mm -hmm. like Sammy Sota, Sosa is just guilty by association, right? And my yeah. thought is this. If Roger Maris could hit 61 home runs in 1961, which was an expansion year, and Roger Maris, he's stressed out all damn season. He's smoking in the locker room. He's drinking buds. <laughs> And then when mm -hmm. you got a guy like Sammy Sosa who, like, picks up weight training, if you look at the back of his baseball card, he was getting better. His on-base percentage was getting higher. He was learning to take pitches. Like, it's not crazy to think that Sammy Sosa could have hit 66 home runs with modern technology. Oh, yeah. Because if Roger Maris could hit 61, I think Sosa could hit 66. But then it's like we don't really get pissed at a guy like David Ortiz because he didn't break any records, but as a 40-year-old, he batted like 345 and hit 49 home runs. So it's like, if you look at that, it's sort of like one of those stats is just as sketchy in the, as the other, if not a little more sketchy based on the age. And I'm sort of just like, I don't know if Sammy did or didn't take steroids. You know, he got bigger, but if you lift weights yeah. and you've never lifted weights, well, hell, Property, you're going to get bigger. Weight, yeah. yeah. Like, it's not impossible to do. No. And it's like... No, I can... Yeah, dude. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, I think the Ricketts family and Wrigley and everybody at, at the Chicago Cubs should bring Sammy Sosa in, make amends, apologize, and even do, like, a Sammy Sosa day. Let I him would, throw out the first pitch, let him sing the seventh inning stretch. Because here's the thing... Mark McGuire came out and said he took steroids, and so did Alex Rodriguez after failing like two or three tests, right? And Alex oh, yeah. Rodriguez right now, he's about to be married to J-Lo or something. He's on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. The baseball world has accepted him back, and sort of likewise with McGuire, right? And because he got like a hitting coach job, I think, with the Padres and maybe the Dodgers at one point. But Mark McGuire is sort of like a dickhead, you know what I mean? So, like, oh, yeah. obviously, Mark McGuire probably was never going to flourish in baseball after retirement just because of, I guess, like, his nature. Um, he's not a bad guy, but he's not a great guy. But one of the sad things about Sammy Sosa is if you've watched that 1998 season, you know, any sort of highlights from it in interviews, Sammy Sosa was just this extremely kind, fun guy. And without Sosa... In that he home run race, baseball. dude, that's the thing about it, man. And that's what I can appreciate so much about it. And what sort of sucks that the Cubs don't bring him back is you had this guy, even Mark McGuire said it, in that home run race, it would have been miserable for him if he didn't have Sammy. But Sammy was just so fun to watch. He made you feel like that, you know, like the feeling you had like when you were a kid, like in Little League days, because he was just playing the game just like a damn Little Leaguer, dude. He was, he was having bringing fun, fun dude, back to the game. Absolutely, man. And that's what's such a shame, because guess what? What if if Sammy Sosa came out now and said he took steroids or whatever? A guy that's so as nice as Sammy Sosa is, he's not Barry Bonds. He's not Mark McGuire. He's just this eternally optimistic, happy, fun guy. 
well, of course the baseball world would have him back because Cubs fans love him whether he took him or not, right? And oh, yeah. so what sort of sucks is what if he didn't really take steroids and now we've just ostracized him from the game that he loved, the game that he started playing when he was sleeping on a dirt floor in the Dominican Republic, and we've just sort of taken that away from him and then, you know, the Ricketts family not having Sammy back, they've sort of just taken it away from Cubs fans. I completely agree. Yeah, it's real horrible to see the situation that Sammy's in. And you can tell that it's both mentally and physically, he it hurt him. And uh, he still has that positivity about it. Like you saw it in the, the last 30 for 30 when mm-hmm. they did the home, ru- home run race and they were interviewing both guys. He just had, you saw it in his eyes, he just had this spice for life. He just loved baseball. I sent you that photo of him, uh, uh, Mark Grace, and Matt Morgan when they're standing with uh, Carrie, uh, Harry Carey. And you could just see that. He was just like, okay, I'm having fun. This is a good time. We're playing baseball. It's a game. Let's do this. Yeah, dude, he really was, man. And then likewise with, like, Harry Carey, that was a guy that – it was fun to watch Cubs games when that guy was calling a man because oh, yeah. he was just all about – Drinking beer and watching the game, dude. Like the first night game that they had, that the Cubs had, Bill Murray was in the box drinking Budweiser with Harry. I've Carey, seen those man. commercials, the little, the little snippets and ads. Yeah, dude, so good, man. And I mean, you know, I've just always admired. There are a lot of guys in baseball history that have overcome odds to play the game and have still done it with positivity. Like you've got Jackie Robinson, right? Like that's one of the most impressive stories in Major League Baseball because this was a guy that had, like, this intense, like, racism directed at him, like, death threats the whole night. And sort of, like, you know, that happened to Hank Aaron, too, when he was breaking the home run record. Mm-hmm. And I've just always... Ernie Banks. Dude, dude, yeah. And, like, Dick Allen. Dick Allen, when he got caught... When Dick Allen... After Dick Allen was drafted, his first assignment was in some town in Arkansas. Ooh. And the whole... And that team was integrated for the first time with the addition of Dick Allen, right? And the town, they were having, like, protest parades saying they did not want this guy on their team. But the the first season he played on the team, he led the whole league, like, in batting average and total bases and the whole nine. And he just performed when things were tough, man. And that's one of the things that I think I learned at baseball at a young age from my dad, man, because he would— you know, work morning to night and then come home and play baseball with us. And so one of the things I like about baseball is that there's so many stories of just like grit and determination, even starting from my own life and then seeing other guys do that to me is just so impressive. Completely agree. I love the story. I love the history of baseball. I like every player has a different story. It's not the same. Um, yeah, just like going up through farm systems, minor league baseball, and going from town to town, talking to this person, working at this grocery store, so I would have a home to play in, in when I'm playing baseball. Yeah, dude, it was um, – so it was Phil Necro that passed away, I think, at the end of December – about a month or a month and a half ago. And obviously, like, 300 wins, the best knuckleballer in the history of Major League Baseball, right? And how he learned that pitch. R.A. Dickey would 
would uh, would like a word on that. Oh. <laughs> R.A. Dickey and I think Phil were buddies. I think R.A. Dickey might probably tell you that Phil Negro was the best knuckleballer oh, ever. But it like um, dude, such a cool story behind that. So his family, they were all immigrants, and I think they were Polish. And so they come over here, and his dad gets a job in the coal mines, right? And the coal mines had a sandlot lead, dude. Like, everybody's playing baseball, right, back in those days, right? And his dad apparently had a hella fastball in the coal mine leagues, but he hurt his arm. So one of his coal mining coworkers taught him how to throw a knuckleball, right, just on the fly. Like, here, yeah. throw this pitch because you don't have a fastball anymore. And then in the backyard later on, um, Phil Necro's dad taught him and his brother Joe how to throw a knuckleball. And it's just so crazy to hear that story where you've got this guy coming to this country just grinding, working in the coal mines. Takes the time to show his kid how to play, how to throw a knuckleball because he's playing catch with him every day. And then that guy takes that pitch and builds a Hall of Fame career. Well, that's a great story. Reminds me of uh, Bim Russell, uh, Kurt Russell's dad, and the whole Portland Mavericks. Wait, what's that about? I don't know anything about that. So you don't know about the Portland Mavericks? No. So uh, the Portland Mavericks were an independent baseball team up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Bim Russell was this Hollywood store, Hollywood uh, actor mm-hmm. who mostly did westerns, but he loved baseball. That's where his passion was. He grew up in Florida and met all the famous Yankees players from years ago. And when he had kids... Uh, he would train uh, Kurt, uh, one of the local neighborhood kids, as well as, I believe, their daughter, how to play baseball. And he actually shot uh, how to play videotapes. And a lot of teams, and a lot of professional teams and minor league teams would buy those tapes from uh, Russell. Get out of here. That was Kurt Russell's dad? Yeah. No way. And he was a character. You would have loved him. He's I th- I, there's an image of him and he's wearing like uh, pl- like a plaid pattern like jacket smoking jacket like just huge glasses great look great guy and then uh, he wanted to own a baseball team so he went up trying to buy a team up in the Port- Pacific Northwest no one would sell him a team because all those teams were owned by major league teams so they didn't want any money horsing around down there. So he bought, paid $500, and he bought a team. And then he hired a couple of his friends and some of the townsfolk to help run the team. And he put an ad out in uh, Sporting News, I think it was called. It was a magazine. And just going, hey, we got there's this new team in Portland. We're called the Portland Mavericks. It's open tryouts. Come on down. And he had guys from all the way from like South Africa coming in, coming to Portland to try out for the baseball for the baseball team. Dude, that's awesome. There's a documentary on Netflix you can watch called "The Battered Bastards of Baseball." Oh, it's dude. all about this. I've heard of that man, but I've never watched it. It's so good. The Bat Boy from the Portland Mavericks was the one that made that uh, made that documentary. Dude, that's badass, man. I'm so bad about watching new baseball movies. Like, I always fall back on, like, The Sandlot, Field of Dreams, and, like, basically, like, those are, like, my main two oh, yeah. that I always fall back well, on. Well, they're the classics. You just have to watch them. But another fun thing about the Portland Mavericks is one of their players, uh, Rob Nelson, 
who's also on Twitter. Uh, he invented uh, Big League Chew. Oh, listen, I've seen that. I've heard of that guy before. Yeah, because uh, I don't remember the story behind it, but... So he was tired of seeing uh, little kids copying the Major League Baseball players and uh, chewing on the gigantic wads of chewing tobacco. He knew that was unhealthy for the kids. So he's just like, well, what's something kid-friendly that they can chew on? Bubblegum. We'll do packs of shredded bubblegum. Dude, that's such a good idea, man. Oh yeah, uh, they had a bunch of bunch of uh, cool players. They even had a, a major league baseball player. I'm forgetting his name, but he wrote the book. He wrote a book during I want to say 70s, and it was like all the unspoken unspoken rules of baseball, all what goes on behind the scenes, all this stuff. And he ended up getting kicked out of major league baseball. He was a pitcher, and he appeared on. Uh, the Tonight Show, I think it was the Tonight Show, and uh, he was talking about the book and as well as he wants to play baseball. And uh, Bim Russell got a hold of him, offered him a contract, and the player ended up going down to Portland pitching there. And they were dominating the the Pacific Northwest League to the point where Major League Baseball was getting pissed off at them. And they were sending down AAA and Major League Baseball players down to the Pacific Northwest League to try and beat the Portland Mavericks to knock them out of playoff contention and just make it so people ignore them. The only reason why the Portland Mavericks went away is because Major League Baseball decided to go, hey, we're put it, bringing back the Portland Beavers. And it kicked the Portland Mavericks out. And when did that happen? Uh, I want to say late seventies. Dude, that's crazy, man. That's one of those situ. One of the things I feel like that's hurt baseball most is sort of like the capitalistic approach to it, where it's just like it's we've got to make the big most. Money kills it. it is, dude, and I feel like that's sort of at least you know, a, obviously, like in my age range, like being thirty-seven, like I remember baseball, like when it was like in its gritty like Baltimore Memorial Stadium days, you know what I mean, where like fans mm-hmm. are smoking in the stands and it just wasn't a glamorous game. The commercial breaks were short. When a new pitcher had to come in, they don't go to commercial break and then you know, you would have like 60 seconds of commercials before the game started. And then now you get like you know, ads during the game. Every time there's a pitching change, you get like 3 minutes of commercial breaks and just everything has an ad on it. And Oh yeah, there oh, Oh. I, they're talking about putting logos and ads on the baseball jerseys now. Dude, and that would they, hurt so bad because you have, like, iconic jerseys that have never changed, like the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Yankees. The White I mean, Yankees, yeah. just so Dodgers. many. And, like, a lot of people that listen to my podcast and follow my Instagram are sort of, like, the same age as me, right? And they they long for that like nostalgic baseball because the current product they don't like because it feels too processed right it's like a bologna sandwich where it's like i can't really enjoy this because it tastes like shit and it's too processed and that's <laughs> like it's and, and it's going to happen with major league baseball like after this season because the collective bargaining bargaining agreement like goes away and i've always said i wish major league baseball would embrace like that family nostalgic approach because that's what they did in the 80s and like had always found success but something happened and you know we saw it 
with like the story that you just mentioned. And then this past season, they cut a lot of minor league baseball teams. And, you know, that takes they away cut 40 teams. Dude, that's nuts, right? 40 because teams are gone. Baseball is and now such, they're having to find that's oh, sorry. unreal, dude, because baseball is such a regional sport. And I feel like you have towns like Kannapolis, like these little small towns in the Carolinas that get these minor league teams. And it's like a gateway to the major league teams where, like, all of a sudden now you get White Sox fans in North Carolina. Like, how does that happen, right? It's because you build a community with these small teams. And there's a reason why me and you like going to minor league games more than a lot of major league games. And it's because of that, like that family feeling. The crowds aren't as big. You can get food for a little cheaper. And it's just it's good, wholesome family entertainment. It's a more, like, it's to a go more, to yeah, to go to a van in Vancouver, like the cheapest sporting event you could go to was the Vancouver Canadian Games. Like it was like fifteen bucks for a seat or something like like around there. And then if you want to go to like a hockey game or like CFL game, you're paying north of like fifty, sixty dollars. Can a hockey game? They're like two hundred dollar tickets. Jeez, man. Yeah, and it's because of minor league baseball and Vancouver. You still have Oakland athletic fans walking around in downtown Vancouver. I know, right? How crazy. Because the Vancouver Canadians were a farm team for Oakland. And I don't want to, like, you know, just sit here and, like, be like an old grumpy man bitching about, like, the current sport (laughs) of baseball because I love baseball. But sometimes I genuinely get concerned that baseball is going to turn into boxing where, like, it's going to get overcome by, like, money-hungry businessmen. Like, part of the reason why the Houston Astros had their big cheating scandal was because the guy that bought the team used to be, like, a hedge fund manager or something. He was just this big business guy that only cared about winning. So he hires a bunch of people that can do all this crazy shit to steal signs. And then... Now, like, I mean, because the Astros cheated, like, it's not going to make me not want to watch baseball because it's ingrained in my blood and I've drank enough beer to love it no matter what happens and what my liver it's, says. It's going back to the Chicago Cubs. It's a love-hate relationship really with Major is, League dude. Baseball. But you hate to see, like, you know, baseball take a hit like that because as generations come along, like, I've got a daughter and – you know, she's going to get to the point where she might be five or six and be like, I don't think I really want to play baseball because it's just like sort of drama, you know, like kids. Like I remember when the 1994 strike happened and I was just sort of like, this is really weird. Like I was only 11 years old, but I was just like, what the hell's going on, man? You know, and it just I wasn't old enough to really like process it, but it made me, I mean, think about things a little different, I guess. And even, you know, there are fans from that strike that have never came back to the sport. So when stuff, when Major League Baseball just has constant drama, whether it's these big businesses buying teams and selling them, like all that shit that happened with the Miami Marlins and like Jeffrey Loria, like buying the team, using taxpayer money to build a stadium and then selling it at like an unbelievable profit just reeked of like, like he was flipping a house, but he did it with a baseball team or something, you know? Yeah, same thing with the Montreal Expos. Dude, yeah, sort of, man. Like the Expos, that's a Everything really— Everything goes back to the Expos here. Dude, that's a really interesting <laughs> story, man, because they had to claw. Like they played at a place called Jerry Park 
their first couple years, and that stadium wasn't really even fit to use. No, they had a swimming pool right next to it. <laughs> hey, I could get behind that, man. That wouldn't be so bad. when they would hit home runs, the balls would occasionally ran, land right into the swimming pool as people were swimming. Dude, so many legendary expos. And Olympic Stadium's still there, right? And I think it gets it used It still is. It's falling apart, and occasionally uh, the Blue Jays use it for exhibition games. Yeah, that's right. They either need a new stadium or completely redo the Olympic Stadium. Uh, but the thing about the Montreal Expo is to help build it in Montreal in Montreal and French Canada is that they had to come up with an entirely new language of baseball. They had to translate all the English phrasing for home run, uh, batter walking up, walking up, pitcher, everything to and make it into a French word. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess when that happened, because they like French people, like they literally had to. Make There's up no the Canada words. like French Canada. Yeah. No, uh, majority of Quebec uh, strictly speaks French. They choose, they ignore English. Yeah. So when Montreal Expos were on TV or on the radio, they would be broadcast in both English and French. And when they did the French, they would have to make up words and sentences that would cover what was going on. Dude, that's so interesting, man. There's a documentary. You can find it on YouTube. It's called The Colorful Expos, and it's narrated by William Shatner mm-hmm. from Star Trek, Captain yeah. Kirk. And it talks about all this, uh, the type of music that they would play. At the stadium, uh, UP, who I believe was designed by Jim Henson. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I think it was UP and uh, the Philadelphia Fanatic who were da- designed by Jim Henson. Oh, for sure, the Philly Fanatic. Oh, looks uh, like a, yeah. Side note to that uh, the Yankees used to have a mascot called Dandy. Wait, I never knew that. Dandy, what was Dandy? So he kind of looked like an upside down. Uh, baseball bat. He was all furry. He was white and black pinstriped. And he was modeled after one of their uh, players. He had this gigantic mustache, puffy hair. Oh, typical and... 70s fashion. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, I believe they retired him after the player that he was uh, made to look at, made to look at uh, passed away. Oh, so they just sort of retired him. Oh, no, that's a good story. Yeah, he lasted maybe like a couple of years. Dude, unreal. But then there's that guy. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but the San Francisco Giants tried an anti-mascot. What does that mean? So it was called the Crazy Crab. And once again, this was a mascot that was only around for like a couple of years. Appeared in a couple uh, commercials. Was this in the 70s too? When was this? No, this was recently. This was like oh, 90s. Nice. Yes. So it was this giant hard shell crab with a stupid face on. And his sole purpose was like to annoy people instead of like <laughs> cheer people up. Oh, God. So at games, people hated him so much. People were throwing batteries at him. Dude, that's cold blooded, man. Yeah. And it, it was just like. Bottles, beer cans, batteries, uh, rolls of coins, and it got to the point where, like, okay, we need to st- 
stop having the crazy crab mascot because eventually one of the players or the people on the field are going to get injured. Oh, 100%, man. If you're throwing batteries from the stands, dude, that's – dude, baseball was so wild back in the day. They're like – it was during it was during the 86 NLCS I was watching, and Nolan Ryan's like pitching in the ninth inning, and there's so much trash just flying behind home plate. It looks like an old Western where like the tumbleweed would, <laughs> would like yeah. run across, but instead it was like hot dog wrappers and cups. And that's how they did it, man. Like when the White Sox had that uh, disco demolition – Dude, they were lighting oh, fires that's on the a field, crazy story. Yeah. climbing up like foul poles. Like baseball's just on a whole nother level with throwing stuff on the field, and like this anything goes mentality. Yeah, that disco demolition night. I found out about that from an episode of Drunk History. Oh, dude, I watched that. That's funny. Comedy Central, yeah. and it had uh, pa- pa- uh, Peyton Oswalt as the uh, the vet uh, the Vietnam veteran. Who used way too much explosives to blow everything up? <laughs> Dude, that was a hell of a time, man. Oh yeah, it's just, just stuff like that would never happen here. Dude, they always like, oh, listen to this, man. Darren Rovell tweet or put this on his Instagram right after Hank Aaron passed away, right? So when Hank Aaron hit home run number seven fifteen, right? You you've seen the clip, right, where the two guys mm-hmm. run on the field. So apparently when that happened, so Hank Aaron this whole time had been getting death threats, right, during the whole home run chase. Like, letters to his house, like, by the hundreds. Like, we are going to kill you if you break the home run record, right? And he still went out and broke it, right? What a a dude, man. Like, that's a grinder right there, like a true baseball guy, man. One of those stories where, like, I cannot believe people still perform up to that level and at the same time, like, keep their cool, man. Like, that whole process, like, Hank Aaron was just – positive and even with like the weight of the world on his back and all these death threats dude so during that game obviously they were in atlanta i think he hit 714 in cincinnati or something and then took like a day off of that series so he could try to break the record in atlanta and during that game they had bodyguards there and they had like basically like cops with snipers just in case if something happened so he, so the way the story goes is he hit 715 and the two guys run on the field and there's a police officer with like a sniper rifle and he's got it pointed looking at these guys like am I gonna have to drop these dudes are they gonna like are they gonna try to stab Hank Aaron or kill him or something and those guys were decently close to death and if something had happened like those guys were going down oh yeah because that's just how tense it was just crazy yeah um yeah, it was, I, it was funny speaking about Hank Aaron. Um, it was only like probably like less than 10 years ago when I actually learned about the whole Negro League Baseball and how it impacted Major League Baseball and everything going in and changing. It was really cool. Like uh, there's, document, uh, there's a documentary out um, – Forget the name of it, but it's it talks about the whole integration of uh, black players into uh, Major League Baseball, like everything going on and talking about like how these, even though they were still thousandaires or making all these big, big money, they still wouldn't wasn't allowed into hotels or into restaurants, even though they were the star player on like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, dude, they would split those guys up. Um and it was completely unreal, dude. Like, Buck O'Neill, 
have you watched the Ken Burns documentary before? I own it. Yeah, dude, it's so good, man. And that's <laughs> where, like, one of the like the guys that came away from that that everybody was so interested in it was obviously Buck O'Neill, dude. And his book is really good, man. And he talks a lot about that, man. When those guys would have to get on the road, like, they would just – they couldn't – couldn't stay like in any hotel ever. So they basically had like this network of people where they knew if they could go into a town, like they would just have to like stay with people. Um, sometimes the green it was, book. dude, sometimes it was, what's up? It was called, I believe it was called the green book. It was a oh, oh, book. Oh, shoot. Okay. Out, yeah. It was a book put out by uh, the uh, African American community. And it would tell people, it tell people like, do not go to this certain town. Do not go past the street. Uh, you can eat at this restaurant. You can stay at this hotel. You're welcome at this gas station, but do not go to this one. That type of stuff. Yeah, dude. And they were just, I mean, dude, just grinding, man. Like there were some places where they couldn't even, like it was hard for them to get gas sometimes to mm -hmm. like gas up their bus or whatever. But those guys, dude, they would just play ball. They just would hit the road and be on the road like all damn summer and just play baseball, and like that just sounds like the best time ever. But sounds they, like they a great had, dream, dude. They had to work for it, man. There was no doubt about it. But Buck O'Neill writes a really good book, dude. And through like that book and then the Ken Burns documentary, it's just really interesting to like hear the big names that came in that sport, like guys like Josh Gibson, and then. Um, I mean, obviously, like, everyone knows the name Satchel Page, but that guy, like, was a phenomenal, phenomenal pitcher. And then another guy named, what was his name, Rube Foster? Rube Foster showed, like, Christy Mathewson, like, two pitches or whatever, two of, like, his best pitches, because I guess, like, Major League Baseball teams would bring in Rube Foster. I think that's his name. I get him and Rube Waddell confused. Hold on one second. The quick Google. Yeah, that's what I'm about to do. Because <laughs> there's a guy named – okay, Rube Foster is the Negro League dude. Uh, stellar pitcherman. Rube Foster, like, invented the night game. Like, the Negro Leagues were doing the night games way before Major League Baseball did it. And he, like, I think, like, invented the bunt, was, like, a big contributor in small ball. And he would um, – like, Major League Baseball teams would bring him in to help their pitchers. And he worked with Christy Mathewson on – I don't remember the name of the pitch. It may have been called like a fadeaway or something like that. I don't know exactly what pitch it was. And like that guy could pitch and he was a baseball genius. Oh, yeah. Oh, speaking about bunts, like, the best place to learn how to do uh, for bunting is you go overseas to Japan. They've mastered the art of the bunt over there. Dude, they can drag bunt probably like crazy because guys like Ichiro, they're already halfway out of the box by the time they swing at the ball. So. Uh, and then uh, the Blue Jays, they had a guy named, uh, I want to say it's Kawasaki, I think his name was. And, and uh, he was this, he wasn't the greatest baseball player, but you could cut to him and just get a sound bite. Like when the Blue Jays were going to the, in the ALCS back in 2017 when Batista hit the. A massive oh, home run, home run yeah. against the Texas Rangers. Uh, he got quote. They come back to uh, Kawasaki, and he's talking about like, "Oh, we're going to go have a bush party," and all this other stuff. And it's just no, it was 2015. Sorry, and he's talking about having going on bush party to celebrate uh, the fact Wait, like that like a bush party, like a bush beer party. 
just going out into the bush and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you uh, do when you're in Canada. Just go to the bush and get hammered, man. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about uh, eating lots of bananas because monkeys don't get uh, carpal tunnel syndrome or stuff like that. And it's just like the best quotes in baseball. Dude, he sounds like he's got everything figured out, man. Just eat bananas yeah, and did. then drink beer in the bush and you're good. Yeah, he's. I think he just recently retired. But yeah, he's. If you go back and go on YouTube or just search Twitter or social media, you would find like some of his best quotes. Dude, like, I want him to come back to the Blue Jays just to be like a color commentator. Dude, yeah, a guy like that, you, you gotta have around, man. No doubt about it. Dude, that's nuts, man. Dude, the Blue Jays, man, they've got, they got a pretty good team working this year, man. Yeah, I think they just need like a couple more key players, maybe another pitcher, uh, closer, and I think they got a very good chance. Vladdy dropping a crap ton of weight. Uh, he's just going to be a monster this season. Dude, yeah, that's and, sort of like one of the most exciting things. Like, even though like the Cubs are going to suck, man. Like, one of the things that's really fun about baseball is like you get the rotation of teams like teams like the Cubs and the Astros and like the Red Sox like sort of drop off and then this season you've got like the Padres and the Blue Jays and teams really on the come up like the Mets are signing a bunch of players I don't know if all of them are going to get hurt or not because they seem to have bad luck but I hope the best for them I kind of want to see the bolt like I'm rooting for the Toronto Blue Jays this year like I'm Super hopeful for them and that, but I also kind of want to see the Baltimore Orioles do something. I just want to see them like return to that little glory that they used to have. Dude, they did, man. The Orioles '80s teams, dude, are so damn fun to watch. And they had like Cal Ripken Jr. and Eddie Murray, but then they had like uh, Mike Flanagan and like Scotty McGregor. Dude, they had good teams. Bobby Gritch, a damn good ball player, dude. He was an Oriole for a while, and I mean, dude, they had good teams, dude. They had great teams, especially during uh, when uh, uh, Brooks and Eddie Robson was there. Jim Palmer, dude, yeah, they had the the last. They were the last team to have four twenty game winners, and I think that was in nineteen eighty three. That was like uh, it was Jim Palmer, probably like Scott McGregor, Mike Flanagan. They had a guy named Dave McNally. I think those were the four guys that won 20 games in a season. And, dude, like Earl Weaver, that's a crazy guy right there, dude. Do you know who – have you ever heard of the baseball player Don Stanhouse? He sounds familiar, yeah. Dude, Don Stanhouse, he's from DuCoin, Illinois, like 20 minutes from where I'm from. And <laughs> Earl Weaver nicknamed him Full Pack. Because he was a reliever, and he would stress out Earl Weaver so much. He said he'd smoke a full pack of cigarettes every time <laughs> he put Dan in. And he That's was like, best. and he was noted as saying, like, that son of a bitch is killing me because he makes me smoke all these cigarettes, dude. Earl Weaver had a secret compartment sewn into every one of his jerseys that he could put a pack of cigarettes in. <laughs> because that's, that's great. where he would go. And he was the, dude, he was the man. I watched the other day. It was a night. The last game of the 1982 season. It was the Brewers and the Orioles, and it was game 162. The winner of that game won the AL East, and the Brewers beat them like 10 to three or something like that. And it was Earl Weaver. Well, I think he actually came back after that, like in '85 maybe or something. I don't know, but it might have been Earl Weaver's last game as an Orioles manager. I don't know, and that was a damn good game, man. Yeah, it's just fun 
watching the Baltimore Orioles are just fun to watch, especially with uh, um, their cur- one of their current players, Trey Martini, I believe his name. Trey Mancini. And he- Trey Mancini. Mancini. Yeah. I'm just horrible with names. I apologize. Hey, I apologize. I- Martini, I see where your head's at, man. That's totally okay. I endorse drinking, dude. Let her rip. Yeah. Uh, um, and he just got over a bout of cancer. Oh, no way. Yeah, I believe he had colon cancer. Shit, dude, that's a killer, man. You can't deal with that. I'm 37. Yeah. I got I probably actually have to get that check. Too much information, but that's so. Is he coming back this season? Yeah, yeah, he's coming back to play. Dude, do you know? I I never knew that John Cruck had cancer. I'm a huge John Cruck fan. 93 Phillies, one of the best, funnest teams ever. And in like after the night during the 1993 season. I think it was Mitch Williams threw a pickoff to first base and hit John Cruck in the nuts and cracked his cup, right? And so he got checked out after the – I guess he was, like, checking himself out, and he felt like a lump or something, right? And it turns out he had testicular cancer. Damn. And the only way he found it was because Mitch hit him in the nuts with a pickoff throw to first, right? So cool story. So all offseason – What do you do – like, do you give that guy a – like a fruit basket is like a thank you like get hit Ugh. here <laughs> like I, thanks for letting me know then man and so all off season he's going through like cancer treatment right but what was really cool so it was during the winter time right and so he wasn't when spring training started he didn't travel with the team to florida because he had to be close to the hospital because he's getting radiation treatment multiple times a week and as it went, like, he would get radiation treatment. When the treatment was over, he would just throw his guts up. And then he would go to the vet. And Dickie Knowles was around. And Dickie Knowles would throw him batting practice with ice on the field, right? Because he still wanted to keep hitting because he told the team, he's like, I want to come back for opening day. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I'm going to do what I can. So every day after cancer treatment, he's going to take batting practice from Dickie Knowles. Well, it turns out he got – his last radiation treatment the same day as the 1994 Phillies home opener, right? Wow. Never had – the only practice he had done was Dickie Knowles throwing him pitches in the ice at the vet, dude, because it stays cold in Philly. And he gets written into the lineup like an hour before the game, right? So in the first inning, uh, Mariano Duncan's batting second. Mariano hits a single, right? And then John Crux mm-hmm. up. John Cruck hasn't hit a baseball in forever. Just had his last dose of radiation therapy, man. He hits a double to the gap, drives in Mariano Rivera, one nothing, or not Mariano Rivera, Mariano Duncan, and it's one nothing, man. The crowd is going nuts at the vet, dude. They said it was the loudest. They said the vet was louder that day than it was when they clinched the World Series, dude. Just or not clinched the World Series, but clinched the pennant, dude. Absolutely bonkers and that's a badass story dude because he was just that really shows how good of a hitter John Cruck was man and like through all that radiation and stuff like that like all he wanted to do was just play baseball hadn't been to spring training hits a double first at bat man like that's a damn good baseball story that's crazy that's a great story like that should be in like like a 30 for 30 I don't even know if it was uh I never I never even knew that about Cruck man but Cruck was a damn good hitter he was still a lifetime 300 hitter kept a heller on base but he only played 10 seasons which is wild he didn't come up with the Padres until I think he was 24 and then he retired I think he played like 40 games with the White Sox in 1995 he hit a base hit and when the inning ended he retired 
Yeah. And that was it. He was done, man. He's like, I just don't, I just don't have anything left. And like physically. And then he was just out, man. But he's one of my favorite baseball personalities. Uh, do you know about the story about John Orland? Orland? Orland. No, I don't he played know for the is. Toronto Blue Jays uh-uh. as well as for the Seattle Mariners. So he had a soft spot on his head. Like he had a hole in his head. And whenever he whenever he played baseball, he'd have to wear like two helmets just in case he got hit in the head to help protect him. Dude, that's wild. Yeah, he won, that- he's won gold gloves. I believe he was also on the on the Blue Jays World Series. The back-to-back World yeah, Series? He's a, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he was on the 92 team. Dude, that's a lot of guts to play baseball when you got that going on. Oh, yeah. Like, he's just crazy. He was just a great player. He he was, like, one of their top hitters for, like, the longest time. What was his name? John Orland. O-R-L-E-U-D. I believe that's how it's spelled. That's wild. Oh, John Olerud. Oh, wait. No way. Yeah. Wait, he had a soft spot on his head? Yeah. Dude, that's why he probably always wore a helmet when he played on first base. Yeah, he would double it up. What in the world? Dude, he was a damn good hitter, man. Damn good Blue Jay. I'm just, like, going back and learning about, like, all these great baseball players from the Blue Jays because there's, like, no books or information that I can find about like the super early days of when the Blue Jays came to Toronto in 77. Yeah, there I don't Before think that, much coverage at all, man. Like they played in like their first stadium was ex- exhibition, exhibition stadium and yeah. it's even hard to get really good pictures of that stadium. No, uh and just I'm trying to find like old baseball cards from back then and just seeing some of the personalities they have back there like Otto the Swato. Oh, you sent me that baseball card. That's wild. Yeah, and he, he had his own fan base Otto called what? Otto's Army. Otto the Swato. So S-W-A-T-T-O. That was his nickname. I forget his uh, full last name. But the photo I sent you, he's got like his nylon puffy jacket on. And then the actual Blue Jays jersey on top of that. Oh, dude. And those... he had one heck of a mustache. Dude, that's one of my favorite things about old baseball cards is they all got stashes. And they all... his name was Otto Velez. Otto Velez. Yeah, there we dude. go. And he's Otto Velez. He's got the nacho helmet on. He's got the windbreaker underneath his jersey. Apparently on all like the old school baseball cards, the reason why all the baseball players like have those windbreakers on is because I guess tops would take their pictures in spring training and it was cold as can be. So like everyone's just trying to stay warm at this point. There was also uh, Jimmy Key, who was a pitcher for them. Oh, Jimmy Key. Great Good, guy. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, – Tony Fernandez, and I actually have uh, one of his cards, uh, and it's bilingual. Is it a Topps card? Yeah. Is it French and English? Uh, let me go check. I actually have it just set to the side of fear. I'm reading about John Olerud. He was diagnosed with a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which caused bleeding in a mm-hmm. spinal column. Yeah, (laughs) just a monster. 
Oh, yeah, he was, dude, he was, a, he almost, I feel like he was in a race for 400 one season, like in the 90s, where he put up a really good run and almost batted 400. But those, um, a lot of those old Blue Jays teams, there's a guy, um, shit, now that I'm on the spot, hold on, I gotta think of it real quick. It was, uh, uh, do, do, do. got the card right here. And it was uh, Spanish. It was Mexican. Dude, Tony Fernandez was a heller shortstop, dude. He, um, I think he came up as a shortstop with the Blue Jays like in 85 or something like that, I'm wanting to say. Mm -hmm. And he's the reason why so many kids want to be shortstops because he was able to do things that at the time shortstops weren't doing. Like he was jumping around, throwing behind the hands. Yeah, dude, he was damn good. And let, here's uh, the guy I was thinking of. You ever hear of a guy named Damaso Garcia? Uh, yes. Dude, Damaso Garcia, yeah. listen, he he passed away at, I think, like the end of 2019, like about three weeks before or three weeks after Tony Fernandez passed. Yes. And I had never heard of Damaso Garcia, but I went back Same. I went back and watched the 85 ALCS. So that was the Blue Jays and the Royals. Phenomenal series, man. Like, um, like Ernie Witt was catcher for them. Dude, Ernie Witt was a damn good player. Lance Mullenix, Jesse Barfield in the outfield. They got Cliff Johnson, who, like, used to be a Yankee. Cecil Fielder was sitting the bench at that time because he was a young guy. They had a guy named Garth Orge, whose brother Dane Orge played for the Royals in that same ALCS, and Garth was just a stellar pinch hitter. But Domaso Garcia, man, he, a lot of people don't know him. He was a phenomenal defender and a damn good ball player, man. Really good ball player. Yeah, I didn't know about him till like he passed away, and I started seeing little tweets in my in my uh, in my feed just going, "Hey, Blue Jays, how come you're not recognizing this guy? And yeah, what it, he's done for the team? It made and it's just like no I've news. never heard of him. Yeah. yeah, it was just super quiet. Like I don't even know if the Blue Jays actually like honored his number by doing the little patch on the sleeve. I think they just did it for Tony. Dude, I'm not sure, man, but he. Was one of those guys where if you go to his if uh, if somebody goes to his baseball reference page they'll look at it and be like eh like okay whatever, but he's one of those guys where like his clubhouse impact on the team was huge. Anyone you would ever talk to would say that Damaso Garcia was a very important guy in that clubhouse. Also look up uh, Dan Angie A I N G E. He was from Eugene, Oregon. Played on the Blue Jays. Went to uh, BYU for school, and he also played for. Who's uh? He's currently up in one of the executives for the Boston Celtics. Oh, that's Danny Ainge. Played. Danny Ainge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, yeah, dude. He did. Dude, that's I think badass. he also played for the Portland Trailblazers too. I think. Not hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, he played basketball too. Shit. See, I'd always seen him in Toronto Blue Jays jerseys, but I didn't realize he made the pros. He played in 79, 80, and 1981 with the Blue Jays. He hit two home yeah. runs in 79. I got his rookie card right here in my hand. 15th round pick, Eugene, Oregon. What the hell? Yeah, went to BYU. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was, a, he was a phenomenal Boston Celtic, man. He was on those teams with Larry Bird and like Robert Parrish. Like, they were winning titles, man. Mm -hmm. And he also uh, was one of the tight back to hats 
let's see what we're doing here, is he actually invest one of the very first investors with the company Hat Club. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he they call him uh, uh I believe Papa Ant Ang Ant I can't pronounce his last name. Ainge. But Pop Pop uh Papa Pap Ainge. Got Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk, man. <laughs> dude, I, you know what? As soon as I hit record on a podcast, I, I can never talk, man. But yeah. Dude, it's crazy to think of guys that were drafted into baseball that played other sports. Like everybody knows like Bo Jackson, two sport athlete. Um, Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders, two sport athlete. But like, I mean, there are guys like um, fucking Dave Winfield was drafted into into four different professional leagues. He was drafted by the Padres, the Atlanta Hawks, the Minnesota Vikings, and then some Utah team in like the American Basketball Association. Ricky Williams, the running back for the, uh, was drafted by the Saints, who was a Dolphin. I think he was drafted by the uh, Phillies at one point and went to spring training. Crazy. Yeah, and uh, same goes with uh... – Kyle Murray of the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, yeah, dude. Kyle Murray. I thought he was going to play ball like baseball. I was shocked that he went to the NFL, but it was probably the best decision for him because it's more money. So, it's more money because when you go, that was one of the most impressive things about Bo Jackson is when he chose to play baseball on just a pure principle because he felt that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fucked him over in the draft process because he had went to um, – while he was playing, his it was a senior season of baseball, had just started, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wanted to fly him down to Tampa to meet the owner and everything. And Bo asked them if it was okay because NCAA sanctions are really weird and really stringent. And Tampa Bay was like, yeah, totally okay. And Bo always said that he believed – that Tampa Bay set him up because that wasn't sanctioned by the NCAA. And because Tampa Bay flew him down, he lost his eligibility to play baseball his senior season. Damn. So he was pissed because he was like, I think Tampa Bay did that on purpose because they've got the number one pick and they know I like baseball. So he was like, fuck it. I'm going to go play baseball. So Tampa Bay, I think, drafts him number one and he doesn't sign. He's like, I'm not playing. So the Royals drafted him in like the 15th or 18th round. And he played baseball. But what was crazy about that is when you get drafted in the NFL, you're going to the pros. You're making big bucks, right? When mm -hmm. Bo Jackson got drafted, he went to Memphis to play for, like, the Memphis Chicks in single A, riding a bus, eating gas station meals. And I thought that was so impressive for an athlete to do that because, obviously, there's a lot of money in pro sports. The pettiness. And, and based, the pettiness. At a, based at a principle, right? <laughs> because when Bo Jackson was – and out of high school, Bo Jackson was, like, drafted by the Yankees. And George Steinbrenner wanted to pay him a bunch of money. But Bo wanted to be the first person in his family to go to college. So mm. they had talked to, like, Bo Jackson's mom to try to get Bo to sign. And they grew up poor, like, 12 people in a two-bedroom house because he had, like, a bunch of siblings. And Bo Jackson and his mom were like, well, we don't need George Steinbrenner's money. We're fine. Like, there's nothing like, you know, they had a lot of pride and they weren't going to just, you know, take this guy's money and be forced to do something they didn't want to do. So Bo goes to college and ends up playing baseball, grinding it out in the minors, man. And he just sort of did everything based on pride, man. Like he knew what yep. he wanted to do and he was confident enough in his abilities and he knew what he stood for, man. And that's a good guy right there. You know, like I said, oh, yeah. ball players just want to make money and – 
Bo Jackson always said when he dies on his gravestone, he just wants it to say, here lies a ball player. And that is the truest thing in the whole world right there because he is just a damn ball player. He was one of the best. Dude, wild athlete, man, because it's so hard to play baseball. Like, if to take time off to, like, go play football and then to come back and play baseball and to be successful and to hit home runs, like, it's the hand two different mindsets. Dude, yeah. the hand-eye coordination in baseball, like, if you stop hitting, like, and, like, take time off, like, you have to work back up to that. And sort of the same with a football field. Like, the Raiders had Marcus Allen, who's a Hall of Fame running back. And Bo Jackson would finish playing baseball, and the Raiders would, like, bench Marcus Allen and play Bo Jackson, who didn't go to training camp, who didn't even lift weights, and he would just walk onto a football field. He would walk off of a baseball field where he was one of the best players in the league and then walk onto a football field where he was arguably the best player in the league and mm-hmm. just do it. Yeah. It's, there's very few people and athletes that can do that. Dude, but there are even um, guys that are freak athletes that I feel that played baseball that I feel like we don't think of as freak athletes because they didn't play two sports. Like Eric Davis in his prime had like a 162-game stretch where he hit like 50 home runs and stole like 90 bases or something like that. And you don't think of it because Eric Davis was hurt so much of his career, partially because he played on – AstroTurf and Riverfront Stadium, and that just battered people's knees. But he didn't play football, right? He was just a baseball player. But that guy was a freak. Yeah, and I think there's a couple players currently that are playing, uh, not because I'm a Cubs fan, but I would say uh, Bias. I think he would be one of those crazy players that would be playing like in the NFL just doing one-handed catches. That he's that is a wild guy. He like has the Him and crazy, El dude. He has the craziest baseball instincts. Like he doesn't play the game of baseball like anybody. He was a second. He was second in MVP voting in what was it, twenty eighteen? And mm-hmm. that guy was the freest swing. He would make Vlad Guerrero look like a patient guy at the plate because if it was a first pitch fastball, Javi Baez was swinging at it. Like that guy was not built to take walks, right? And it's so crazy that he has that much success at the plate. He doesn't walk. He swings at everything and strikes out a shit ton, but damn, is he good. We're lucky to be seeing him play in his prime. Like I hope I hope the Cubs lock him down. And defensive, yeah, 100%, man, because he's one of those guys. Like, just give him the biggest contract that they can, and the him and Rizzo. Of, and the thing about it is, is, like, those aren't two guys. Like, those aren't, like, your Bryce Harper, Manny Machado guys where you got to pay him 10 and 300. But if you put those guys on a team, like Rizzo, for one, that guy fucking tried to fight the whole Cincinnati Reds dugout when it rolled his chat and was throwing it, guys. Right? And that's the gritty. I do. I love that grittiness in Major League Baseball, dude, where it's just like, let's go, man. Like, we're not friends. I don't like you. And if you throw at my teammates, I'm going to try to punch you in the face. He is the captain of the Chicago Cubs. They need to put the C on his on his jersey and just respect him. <laughs> dude, he's – Like, I think, he, the, I think the last captain in baseball that was recognized was uh, for the New York Mets, uh, David Wright. 
Oh, probably. Yeah, because him and the, wasn't Derek Jeter captain for the Yankees, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they need to bring back the whole captain thing for baseball. Give one to uh, Rizzo and just have at it. I Dude, think for yeah. the Blue Jays, uh, I know he's a young guy, but I would say Bo Bichette. I think he's their captain. He's going to be the leader of that team going forward. Everyone thought it was Vladdy, but it's not going to be Vladdy. It's going to be uh, Bo. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it always doesn't have to be the big names. Like, I think the grittiness factor that, like, we don't see in today's Major League Baseball game is completely underrated, right? Because when you look mm -hmm. at a guy like Anthony Rizzo, he's not going to win an MVP, man. But the impact he has on the dugout, he's sort of like that Dick Allen, like Dave Parker type guy, right? Minus like the yeah. cocaine. Because like if you look <laughs> at his advanced stats, like Rizzo keeps about a 290 batting average and he gets on base a lot, right? And he's a good power hitter for a first baseman. But he's going to retire with like a 50 war, you know? So when folks looking at advanced stats, they're like, oh, Rizzo's good. But he's probably like... He's not. He's no Albert Pujols. He's no Paul Goldschmidt, right? He's like no. not. Like he's really good, but he's probably not a perennial MVP candidate, right? He's sort of like that. Like he's not Pete Alonso right now, which I love Pete Alonso. But when you look at a guy like Rizzo, man, his his the difference he makes in the clubhouse is something that's you can't measure on paper. No, I can like, see Rizzo yeah. once he officially retires and after some time, I could see him coming back to baseball but as like a manager because he just has that way to get players and the people around them pumped up and go out there to do their very best. 100%, Him and dude. Jason Hayward. Dude, Hayward's a damn – Hayward is a damn good guy. He's had shitty luck in Chicago because he can't hit that well. He's a really great defender, but I agree, man. He's one of those personalities where it's just like he transcends – like he, he's, he goes – He's beyond his numbers, right? And I think that's when yep. it comes to, like, putting together a good team where, like, you can't just go out and sign, like, a bunch of big names. Like, the Phillies, I, I like the Philadelphia Phillies, but they're sort of in a bind because they should have competed the last two years because they're just signing a bunch of big names. But there's just, like, that dynamic in the clubhouse you've got to build. And guys like Anthony Rizzo are cut from, like, that old-school cloth, you know? Where what mm -hmm. was it, like, two or three years ago – Anthony Rizzo slid into home plate and he ran over the catcher. And yeah. it, it was a catcher for the Pirates. It was a catcher for the Pirates. And everybody got pissed at Rizzo. They were like, he's a dirt bag. He's a dirty player. And Joe Madden and Anthony Rizzo are both like, I mean, that's how we were learned to talk the game. And that's one of the things. I obviously don't want players to get hurt, right? Like when Chase Utley no. broke that guy's leg from the match, you don't want to see stuff like that, right? But no. People there's play a, the there's game a of certain level for intestine. There's a certain level for gritness and toughness nowadays that, yes, do that. But as soon as you start injuring another player, that's a no-no. But here's <laughs> the thing. Like, sometimes in sports, people are going to get injured. So if Rizzo yeah, hit a guy and he was on the disabled list for 30 days, I still don't think I would think that Rizzo was a bad guy. And sometimes people forget that baseball is a Physical sport, man. I watched a game last week. It was the Giants and the Padres from 88. Will Clark slides in the second to break up a double play. He gets into Gary Templeton. After the play, Gary pats Will on the butt. Good play, and it's over. Right? Nobody got pissed at anyone. 
The guy at second base knew how to play the position so he didn't break his leg. And mm -hmm. it's just like people get frustrated when somebody does something physical in today's game. And, you know, like you said, I don't want anybody to get hurt. But sometimes people forget that it's a physical game and then they get pissed. Yeah, it's shit happens. It just you just have to roll with it. Like there's going to be there's going to be tackles. There's going to be slides. And it just happens. The catcher needs to be able to take that hit. And, yeah. Uh, but I feel like you got to know how to play your position, too. Like, guys like Cal Ripken and Steve Garvey, who played all Randy these Hundley. games straight. Right, yeah. I think there's... I think it's a skill to stay healthy when you're playing the game because you sort of, like, have to know, I guess, your boundaries and know how to play your position, right? And yep. I think that comes into play, too. I don't think it was just dumb luck that Cal Ripken happened to play that many games straight. I think he was a tough dude, but I think he also just knew how to play the game really well, and I think it's a skill to play it and not get injured. Like, guys like Mark Pryor and, like, Kerry Wood, like, like injuries happen to people, right? Like, I don't think there's anything they could have done to, like, not cut their career short, maybe play catcher, I guess. So those things do happen. Yeah. But I think it's pretty impressive yeah. that guys can play for a long time and stay healthy in the sport. Mm -hmm. No, it's – you don't you don't want to have a – you can have, like, this star player hits monster home runs, but if his bones are made out of glass, like, there's just no point. Dude, that's sort of like one of the things I've always – like Giancarlo Stanton's sort of in that tricky situation mm -hmm. where he's in phenomenal shape, man. And But it's just like I – like I don't know how the guy gets hurt so much, but I know like I spent about 10 of my years uh, hardcore in a gym, man. And, I mean, put on like 110 pounds, like fucking – I wasn't – I was probably bigger than Giancarlo Stanton, but I'm not as tall as him, so that really wouldn't work. But I'll tell you what, man, like, a lot of that heavy weight training, yeah, I, like, looked good, but I hurt sometimes, man. Like, I was always doing yeah. something and doing that stuff, and that's why guys in the 80s wouldn't work out as much because they just felt like it would just tighten up their bodies, and then they would just, like, pull stuff, you know? And like when Well, there's a reason why power lifters don't la uh, live that long. Like, their life expensity is, like, cut in half because of their hardcore training. Oh, yeah. The amount of muscle... And their diet, like they have no flexibility, so they get injured really fast and quite often, and they usually pass away around like 60. It's because they're deadlifting 900 pounds and their hearts get so huge, man. You can have yeah. guys that don't take steroids that their heart gets bigger because they're so big because of the amount of food they eat and the amount of weight they lift, man. Yeah. It's just, it's down, yeah, I I don't really have anything to add on to that one. Yeah, but, it's just a yeah, it's just, a wild situation, man. And but like you obviously want to stay in shape, but like mm -hmm. Noah Syndergaard hasn't been healthy for a whole season of like two or three years. And no, but well, he's like, not drinking his chocolate milk. Exactly, dude. Chocolate <laughs> milk is key, man. But like you get a guy like a Roldis Chapman, he lifts like a maniac, dude. Oh, his off season pitchers are just. It's almost like DK Matcliff from nuts. the Seattle Seahawks. Crazy. And he's – but yeah. he stays healthy, man. Like, he doesn't mm -hmm. throw 105 anymore, but, hell, he throws 100, and he's got an off-speed pitch that he'll get guys on. And that guy, he's sort of like 
in today's standards, he's sort of defying odds like Nolan Ryan, right? Like his arm should be toast at this point. He's in a, he's in his low 30s probably. He lifts a shit ton of weight and threw 105 for like 10 years straight. But like he's still going. So that's a guy that lifts weights, but it just works for him. Yeah. Probably same goes with uh Justin Verlander. I don't he he's coming back for next season, right? Dude, or did he officially well, retire? Okay, I don't no, no, he didn't retire. I think he's going to be out the entire 2021 season because he had Tommy John, like, last yes, summer, I think. Uh, so he's going to miss it. all of 2021, which sucks, man, because he's a guy that I sort of felt was, like, cut from that same, like, Nolan Ryan cloth where I was like, listen, he might not win 300 games, but he might win 260. Exactly. So I hope he comes back well because I like Verlander, man. He is, dude, he's a guy. He'll go out there and throw 120 pitches. He still throws hard. And I don't know if a pitcher ever is going to win 300 games, but that might be one of the last guys that was maybe going to get to like 250 or 260. And hell, he still might if he pitches to 45. I don't know. But I know he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's him. Uh, Trying to think of some other – sorry to keep coming back to the Chicago Cubs, but uh, Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks uh, is an interesting pitcher because he he's sort of like Javi Baez, but a pitcher. He doesn't do things like anybody else does. I mean, he is just off speed and location. And watching him pitch, it's like, dude, get a good beer, sit back, and just watch the show, man, because he oh, – it's, it's smooth good. jazz. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's just jazz on a vinyl record. You're sitting in basement just listening to that, sipping on a nice scotch, and that's what Kyle Hendricks pitching is like. See, you watch your Cubs games a little different than I do because I'm like, <laughs> give me a case of cheap booze and some cheese-its, man, and let's get this thing going. But, like, it's crazy that he does – like, he had a – what was it? Two years ago through a complete game, and I don't think through a pitch over, like – 82 miles an hour or something, man. And, and he's no one just, talks about him. Fucking, like, his location is just so good. You see great hitters. Like, he has some of his best games against the St. Louis Cardinals. And they might not have the greatest offense in the league, but he sees them multiple times a year. So if anybody should be able to hit Kyle Hendricks, it's the Cardinals. And Kyle will go up against good hitters. And you got, like, soft ground outs all over the place, striking out on a 70-something-mile-an-hour curveball, and you're just like, dude, I can appreciate that. That is fun to watch. Also, his lack of emotions. <laughs> oh, he's so cold-blooded, man. He just doesn't give a shit. He's just, okay, sure, whatever. He's like sort of Dave he's Stewart. Throw pitch. Dude, he's like Dave Stewart, but like the nice version. Like, you know Dave Stewart, right? Always had like the meanest yeah. look on his face, right? Well, how that happened was – Dave Stewart was drafted by the Dodgers, and, like, the first year he got the Dodgers spring training, Sandy Koufax was there, right? And Sandy Koufax mm-hmm. was giving Dave Stewart tips. And, dude, Dave Stewart could throw hard, but his control sucked ass, right? So Sandy tells Dave, he says, listen, pull your hat down more. And when Dave did that, he could only see, like, half of the catcher's body. And Sandy was like, throw to what you can see. And that helped. Dave Dave Stewart's control. So now you've got this big guy that can throw 97, and he's got his hat pulled down low. And then Sandy told him, because when Dave Stewart would pitch and it wouldn't go well, he'd get pissed. And you could tell, right? <laughs> and so Sandy Koufax was like, so show zero emotion on the mound. If you're pissed, just don't show it, right? So what Sandy Koufax created 
And Sandy Koufax also showed Dave Stewart how to throw his forkball, which basically helped him win four straight 20-win seasons, mm-hmm. right? And so what Sandy Koufax created was just this badass fucking dude on the mound that showed no emotion, pulled his hat down low, and he was just a badass, right? So that's sort of like Kyle Hendricks, but he's not as mean as Dave Stewart because he just shows no emotion on the mound, man. And I think that's an advantage for pitchers because if he's flustered, Kyle Hendricks, if he goes, if he throws a complete game or goes five innings and gives up six runs, it's the same look. <laughs> oh, yeah. You never see anything different. Yeah. And that's that's an advantage for a pitcher, man, because, dude, if you, when they smell blood, dude, you're out, man. Oh, yeah. You have to have consistency. You have to have, you have to be able to look past the batter and go, okay, what do you want me to do to the catcher? And just, ignore the batter basically and just put all your faith into the catcher and just go okay this is what he wants me to do i'll do it dude that would be such a hard process to keep when mark burley threw his perfect game in it was 2005 you do that perfect game where Dwayne wise made like a leaping catch at the wall in the ninth inning that whole entire game um he didn't shake off his catcher one time whatever the catcher put down he threw the damn pitch didn't think twice, and he worked so fast. Like, he was like, just didn't even think about anything. Just threw the pitches, didn't second guess, so put faith in his catcher, and that's what happened. No, there's a reason why, uh, a few years ago, why pitchers had their personal catchers. Wherever the pitcher went, the catcher would go too. They oh, were their yeah. caddy, basically. <laughs> like, you're coming with me. Dude, when, uh, uh keep going back to the Cubs. I apologize for that. But uh, John Lester, when he came to Chicago, he brought David Ross. And now David Ross is the manager of the Chicago Cubs. Dude, a good catcher is completely underrated. Like Yadi Molina, right, as bad as you don't like the Cardinals, that guy's mm-hmm. the first ballot Hall of Famer. Now his stats, like, might not say he's up to par with other Hall of Fame catchers. Like, his stats don't look as good as Mike Piazza, Johnny Bench, Carlton Fisk, Pudge Rodriguez, right? They, they don't look as good. But if you've watched Yachty play and watched the pitchers that he's influenced and his clubhouse influence, that guy is a winner. And if I had to, if I got every catcher in their prime and had to pick one, and I could get Yachty, Carlton Fisk, Johnny Bench, Piazza, right? Like, I'm not sure that I would pick Yadier Molina, but I'm not sure that I wouldn't pick him because a good catcher like guys like him, Yadier's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If he doesn't oh, yeah. get in, if anybody doesn't vote for Molina, like it'll be like to me not voting for Derek Jeter, right? Because, mm-hmm. but it's hard for people to get because baseball's such a regional sport. So if you're a, if you're out on the West Coast and you're watching the Giants and the Padres and the Dodgers and stuff like that, like you don't, you might not get it. But that guy is an I mean, he could be a, easily a top 10 catcher all time because of what he oh, yeah. does. And a good catcher, I, fucking phenomenal. Two names that I would also put in that category would be uh, Russell Martin, I'd agree. Canadian catcher. Yep. And then uh, Posey from the uh, San Francisco Giants. Hunter, Posey will get in the – Posey has good stats. Posey's got better stats than I think Yachty for sure. But yeah. Posey's that guy, dude, where you look at the pictures, pictures that came through there – and the dynasty that they broke off, which was like three World Series in five years. Yo, that guy can hit. He won an MVP. High What happened to, uh, going back into that, what happened to Tim uh, Lichicum? 
Oh, listen, Tim Lincecum was is sort of like a Mark Pryor story, right? So what did he win, like, two Cy Youngs in a row, threw, like, three no-hitters or something? It's just arm troubles, man, right? His delivery yeah, then... was very violent, dude. He won back-to-back -back Cy Youngs at the age of 24 and 25, and by the time he was 30, which was in 2014, so that would have been the Giants' last World Series, he was down to 155 innings and then down to 76 innings. And he tried to come back in 2016 with the Angels, but he Yeah, he, he signed it was with bad, the minor league deal for the Salt Lake Bees. Yeah, it's sort of just like That's, a Mark Pryor situation, man, where he yeah. was just a bottle rocket, dude. Like those years he was in his prime – just lock it down, man. That guy was lights out. Fun to pitch, yeah. too. Like, his delivery, like, there are pitchers that are just fun to watch, man. And Tim Lincecum's delivery is just, is badass. Oh, another San Francisco San Francisco Giant player that I'm pretty sure you would like is, um, uh, he was their relief pitcher, Brian Wilson. Oh, that's the guy with a big beard, right? He had a huge beard. Big beard. He had a mohawk. He had tattoos. I remember that he guy. He showed man. up to the SB in a skin tight tuxedo outfit, and he had a cane that had a duck's head on it. Where the hell's he from? Is he from Canada? No, I just oh, remember he's from watching... New Hampshire, man. What the heck? Yeah, and he's like uh, he was a. I believe he was a born again Christian. Because his dad passed away from cancer. So every time when he would close, he would do the crossed arms and point up to the sky in honor of his dad. But he was he had like a couple episodes of uh, the old TV show, the franchise, dedicated to him. Speaking about that, MLB needs to bring that show back. I've never watched the franchise. So the franchise, it would just follow a, a team for a year. Oh, so, sort of like what they do with like the NFL teams on HBO. The Hard Knocks, yeah. yeah. This was like kind of the beginning. So the first one, first one was uh, the San Francisco Giants after won the World Series, and then the next one was like the Miami Marlins after Jeter took over. Oh shit! They had those that recently. Yeah. How have I never seen those? What the heck? It was like on Showtime. So that's probably why no oh, one's. That's why them. I don't have Showtime, man. I think I used to yeah, get like, HBO for Game of Thrones, and otherwise I don't pay for a channel. So, yeah, I just want it would be like on YouTube, randomly. You know, that's one they of the, like. That's one of the they, things they that a lot a, of fans want more of is like, I will stop talking at the same time at some point. You got two jabber jaws on the mic, yeah. but that's one of the things like I yeah. wish MLB would do more of and make it accessible. Is like behind the scenes stuff like that. Like there was a time like in the seventies, the seventies were really big for like player personalities and fans knowing the players. And today, like it doesn't really happen as much. Man, like Trevor Bauer's doing a pretty good job of it, but he's doing it all on his own. And then you got guys like Bryce Harper who are like, you know, really big in the sport. They don't sort of really try because they had like that rookie year hype. But then you got Mike Trout, who's the best player in baseball that nobody really gives a shit about, right? You could see that guy at a gas station, and nobody would know who he is because he just no, like because he has no real personality. If he was brought onto like a natural like star team, like either put him in on the you could even put him in Oakland as with who he is, and he would be a more recognizable face. Instead, he's stuck in the Angels, where I don't think he would ever achieve that level of fandom and all that type of stuff but you know what man like i almost can't blame him 
because no. in a world with like hyper social media, like to be famous and to have a social media account and be active in it, it would be such a headache, man. Because yeah, like, there's not there's every- a reason why people hire social media people to look after their Twitter, their Instagram, and all that type of stuff. Because they probably because they don't, don't want to do read it. it, man. Because you got to no. figure like Trevor Bauer is doing a really good job, but I bet the amount of hate that guy gets on social media, it's like you could do something really good and everyone could tell you that it was good and you'll just be like, ah, yeah, I knew it was good. But if one person out of 30 tells you it sucked, then it's going to sit with you forever and you're going to mm-hmm. be pissed and it's going to give you anxiety. So in a guy like Mike Trout's situation, like he's got a good life right now. He's on a half a billion dollar contract. He's the best player in baseball. And if he expands his brand on social media and stuff like that, I don't know if his life's going to get any better, but it might get a little worse because of the shit he might have to deal with. Right. Yeah. And so I wish like major league baseball would maybe like incentivize guys to do that or sort of, like I don't really teach them like a social media class. Just yeah, like, like this not... is how you market yourself. This is what you do. I like not even that. Like I think like like a guy like Mike Trout's like twenty eight or twenty nine years old. Like he knows how to use Instagram, right? Yeah. I just like I know, right? It's sort of like in Major League Baseball. There's no incentive to steal a base. Like there's absolutely zero incentive to do anything extra if you don't have to. And like I don't know how you would get players to like give a shit and to do the extra work. But like maybe if like major league baseball did more of the heavy lifting or like when I was a kid, I watched a ton of pro wrestling, dude, like WWF, like the whole nine. Right. And Vince McMahon, dude, like wrestling is sports entertainment. Right. So it is a storyline and it is this created thing. Right. And it doesn't have like the naturalness of like, what baseball, basketball, or football would have in the sense of, hey, anything could happen. And if a really good sports story happens where it's like, you know, some sort of like the Cubs coming back from three to one, that wasn't scripted, right? It just happened. Or when the Red Sox came back from the Yankees, 3-0 deficit, and then swept the Cardinals in the World Series to break the curse. That shit's not scripted. It's real life, right? So when that happens it fucking takes you back because it's just like, oh, I cannot believe that happened, right? But in wrestling, that stuff is scripted. But Vince McMahon has always done such a good job of telling stories with his professional wrestlers. It's like if Major League Baseball would do something like that and really sell the story more of like, for example, like a Cubs-Cardinals rivalry is really damn good, right? But it's mm-hmm. not it's not as big as the Reds nationwide, it's not as big as the Yankees or Red Sox because the media in those areas is way bigger, right? So they sell it a little more. So I'm thinking in my head, like, well, Major League Baseball, like, I mean, I watch baseball, and I know if the Tampa Bay Rays are playing the New York Yankees, that's a pretty damn good game, right? And if you could sell that in sort of the same way that pro wrestling did back in, like, its heyday, which could be now, I don't watch it anymore, like, I just sort of feel like you might not have to tell Mike Trout to, hey, do better on Instagram, right? You would just take charge of that yourself and tell more of the team story. And then if all of a sudden, like what you said earlier about having, um, what, like, having like fans in an area that's way far from the hometown because of the minor league team, right? If you could tell mm-hmm. that story, all of a sudden you could have Angels fans in Texas, 
because they would be like, dude, like I got to watch this Angels and Phillies game because it's Mike Trout versus Bryce Harper. Like that's huge. Yeah, I I completely agree. That and that's why minor league baseball was so important. But they and cut just out a lot of teams. Forty teams, I believe. No, uh, yeah, forty teams. And but then the teams are also finding ways of surviving, joining independent leagues, wood bat leagues, that type of stuff. Yeah, there's an independent league in my hometown. They are well, it's not based there, but they have a team in the Frontier League, and that's an independent league that I think is fairly popular. Mm-hmm. There are guys like Tanner Roark pitched in that league, and uh, there's a, one of the guys, Nick Anderson, I think, who was a pretty big bullpen piece for the Tampa Bay Rays this past season. I think he might have pitched in that league as well. Yeah. No, uh, the, that type of stuff is just important for baseball's growth, and with them cutting all that stuff, it kind of uh, wrecks it a little bit. It just seemed like it was strictly a financial play, and that's what didn't sit right with a lot of people. Also, Major League Baseball gets more of uh, Minor League Baseball's profits, too, now. I don't—that's such a—I mean— that's just where that greed comes in, man. Like, that's such a convoluted system to me. Like, when you say that, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I know it sounds like a bad thing, right? If Major League Baseball wants more money, that sounds greedy. I think it just is going to have – we're just going to have to see what happens over the next couple of years and just see if the product remains as we want it to. I doubt it will, but we can't re- – as fans, we can't really do anything if we don't own them. We can voice our opinions, but they're opinions. But from the I, – I sort of get it in the aspect where it seems like they're – it seems like teams have a lot, a lot of minor league affiliates as it's like a ratio for the talent that actually makes the team. So it seems like – from that aspect, it seems like it's really big. And I think that was part of like – what Major League Baseball said was like, listen, we want to streamline this process because there are so many affiliates and so many leagues. Like, it's more than what we need. But that... They also have winter teams, too. Oh, dude. Down in uh, down in the uh, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Mexico, all those. Dude, winter leagues? Listen, one of my favorite players ever that I've discovered was um, Jose Cruz, right? He was an Astro, and he played for the Astros in the 86 NLCS Yo, Jose Cruz is one of the most underrated players ever in the history of baseball. He's not a Hall of Famer, probably, but he has phenomenal offensive numbers, and he played in the Astrodome, so his offensive numbers are way more impressive than what they look like. But this guy played like 15 or 16 years straight winter ball. As he got older in Major League Baseball, he never took a day off. As soon as the season would end, he would just go play winter ball. And then when spring training would start— he would come up in spring training and still play baseball. He was always in shape and never took time off. He just always played there, baseball. There's hockey players that are like that. Uh, they go overseas to play in the Swedish or the Icelandic or even the Russian leagues too. That sounds Make sure fucking that they intense. Stay, oh, the, go. They go, go over there and probably get their ass kicked in Russia, man. Like tough enough that the they KHL come here. The KHL is the tough. best. They go. Uh, if you get a chance, go YouTube some of their uh, All Star games. There's guys playing with, like, hockey sticks on fire. Dude, it's probably like a cage match, like MMA meets hockey or something like that. Yeah, there's a clip. 
There's a clip of a guy that gets uh, checked and he goes flying through the glass. <laughs> That's how hard he got hit. Holy Just, shit. Are you telling me someone took really out a cheerleader? Jesus, someone really has a hockey stick on fire? Yeah. Fuck, I can't believe dude. I yeah. Jesus. I got to watch that, man. They have cheerleaders too. <laughs> It's just like they took everything ridiculous and just put it into a mer- into a hockey. Dude, listen, I went to a Marlins game in 2018, and it was like nothing I had ever seen before from a baseball game. They had cheerleaders on the dugout that mm-hmm. were dressed in a manner where I almost felt obligated to tip them. And I was just like, holy <laughs> shit, this is a baseball game? I was like, if I took my dad or grandpa to this, like, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> I would just have a bunch of perverts around me or something. Hey, baby. Like, I couldn't bring him around. And it was just, one, I had never watched a baseball game indoors, right? And that was a treat because it's in Miami, and it was hot as shit outside. But the mm-hmm. stadium, I was so comfortable. I've never been to a baseball game where I didn't leave severely dehydrated, hung over already, and with a killer farmer's tan. <laughs> and I left this Marlins game in better shape than what I was when I got there because it was just so you comfortable. You got tan. You're feeling good. You got your blood uh, your your blood sugar levels are nice and low. You got a clean bill of health from the doctor that's there. You just felt good. Dude, and it was a nice stadium, though, man. Like, really Yeah, nice. I've heard a lot of good things. But you want to know what, man? You mentioned the Orioles earlier. I got a buddy who... Um, keeps really advanced stats in like this big spreadsheet that he has, right? And he's like an accounting guy too, so he's just strictly a numbers guy, and he does it with baseball. And he's got a spreadsheet where he has rated the best ballparks in MLB that he's been to. Oh, that's cool. He's got all these, like, he's got like a food category, like a comfort category. Like, he's got it figured out. And his number one ranked stadium is where the Orioles play. Oriole Park at Camden Yards. He said, that's it, man. He is comfortable. It looks great. The food's great. And that's one that I want to go to because I've only been to fucking where the Cardinals play, where the Cubs play, and then the Marlins. And I went to an Oakland A's game. And that's all I've been to, man. And I'm pretty close to where the Orioles play, maybe like five or six hours. Yeah. No, I want to go see the Orioles play. uh, Jays, Chicago, uh, the Cubs. And then I also want to go to uh, Minnesota because I. Wait, hold on. You got to say that again. You cut out. What did you say? You want to go to Minnesota? Uh, yeah, the Minnesota Twins. I want to go see them. I want to go to uh, uh, Wrigley Field. I want to go see uh, Rogers where the Blue Jays play. And then uh, probably head down to Oakland too. I kind of want to see the A's play. Dude, the... Especially going that right field. The Oakland. Hello? Wait, can you hear me? Shit, good. Okay. Yeah, sorry, guys. This is a professional podcast. I'm not going to cut that out, by the way. <laughs> I, uh, no. Dude, the where the A's play, yo, that was a treat, man, because the fans, I went in, I think it was like 2017 or something like that. I basically uh, went there. My wife had a business trip in San Jose, so we stayed in San Jose, and then the Giants were out of town, so we went to the A's, which I would have rather picked the A's anyway. But I heard AT&T Park was so nice. I wanted to go there. But so we went and ended up watching the A's game, dude. And the park is like an old, like, concrete donut feel because it used to be, like, where the Raiders played too, right? So it was football as well. Yeah. But, dude, it was a phenomenal feeling stadium. Like, it wasn't anything pretty. It's old, right? 
but the fans there were so nice and it had like that old school concrete donut feel which i love man it was good yeah yeah there's just certain stadiums that i'm just like i, I want to go see that i want to go to get that experience it just sounds so fun dude it's a blast man Hey, man, we'll wrap this up, dude, if you want to. It's like we're two hours in. I don't know if anyone yeah. listened to us further out than this. So that's uh, – shit, that's Just what we got, man. Just only my very close friends that still put up with me. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. Well, dude, thanks for being on the show. And Glad to be here. Don't hang up yet because I'll hit stop, and then we'll close it up. But otherwise, thanks okay. for listening to the podcast, guys. Graham, thanks for being on. Glad to be here. Dude, until next time, we'll uh, – oh, yes. if you want to see Graham's hat collection, just – um check in the description of this podcast because i'll put his instagram on there a lot of badass hats dude it's a good situation yes badass hats uh a little bit of baseball stuff and then uh occasionally picture of my dog yes that's what's up all right take care man we'll see you have a good one